Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Inebriard Podcast Networks, but you guys already knew that. As always, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee, and uh, last time I checked, that is coffee to die for, because once you go deadly, you don't go back. That doesn't rhyme, but it's still their slogan. I am your host, my name is Parasite Steve, aka Steve Van Sampson. And uh, I am cohortless tonight, as I was uh, last brig with uh, El Marie Wood. But you know that's okay. Uh, uh, we'll just roll with it. We'll just re- you know it's fine. It's fine. I'm not going to cry about it at all. It's fine. It's no problem. Um, tonight, uh, I am pretty excited because uh, continuing in the tradition of these, uh, the last episode and this one. I don't know. It's a tradition after two, three. I don't know how many makes a tradition. We, we have our second Bram Stoker nominee of the 2022 Stoker ballot uh, on the show tonight. Very excited to have this man here on the show with us tonight. So uh, locked in the, the, you're waiting for me to say the brig this week is the award-winning author of the three novels, disintegration breaker and transubstantiate. He's written three short story collections as well. And one novella and over 150 published stories. Oh my God, like how? If that's not enough, though, he's also edited four anthologies and has been nominated for numerous pre- prestigious awards, including the Bram Stoker, we mentioned, Shirley Jackson, and Thriller Awards. Uh, why, it's author of the new one, Spontaneous Human Combustion, Richard Thomas. How's it going, Richard? Hey, Steve, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. No problem. Welcome to the show. Um, First, you know, let me ask you, are you okay down there? Are you comfortable down there in the the brig? A little cold, a little clammy, some things kind of skittering around, but, you know, I'm used to that. So I'm actually taking some notes. I probably will try and work it into a future story. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's, you know, that's, that's what we want to hear. You know, last night, you know, I have to apologize. We did have a pipe burst. So I was a little bit worried about the five inches of gray water down there, but you know, I left you some galoshes. So yeah, you, you know, just you can. slip those on if, yeah. uh, if they fit a fair warning though, if a little eyeball stock pops up, you might want to get on top of something. Sure. Sure. That, that's always good advice. Uh-huh. So uh, Richard, you have, so many accolades you've done so many things you've written just about every type of thing uh i don't know are you a poet have you written poetry i i did some really bad poetry back in the day tried to be a little bit of bukowski but no not really <laughs> although <laughs> what, what's, slam the, what's the what's the beastie boys line i'm a writer a poet a genius i know it i don't buy shiba i grow it i don't know that uh, <laughs> cards i grow uh, go anyway, but no, yeah, mostly focusing on short fiction these days and novels. That's that's most of my time. Yeah, 
Uh, that that's great. 150 uh, is a lot of short stories. Uh, so you've been at this author journey, as I like to call it, for quite some time. Um, you were we were talking to, in the pre-show. Uh, it's been over a decade, decade and a half. Yeah, fifteen something years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I as I was kind of telling you a little bit in the beginning, I, I was in the advertising world for twenty five years, and here I'll give you a little bit of my origin story if you sure. want. Sure. Oh, um, please. I am I am now a writer, editor, teacher, been a past publisher. Um, I basically woke up one day. I, I went and saw a movie Fight Club. Sure. Um, I'm already breaking the first rule of Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. But I went and saw the movie. And then, you can talk about uh, the movie Fight Club, to be yeah, fair. I'm pretty sure. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it wasn't in a Fight Club. Um, and went to, uh, I realized it was based on a book by an author. And I'd never heard of Chuck Palahniuk before. Went to his website, started hanging out, and basically loved everything he was doing and just kind of read everything he, ha he had out at the time. So obviously Fight Club had just come out, the movie. So I read Fight Club and choke and survivor and diary and lullaby and invisible monsters and everything just really it just really got me excited to read again i, I was about 40 years old i'm 55 now um and i just realized how much i missed i've, I've always been a big reader but i missed writing and mm. i i kind of i actually gone into advertising starting out as a copywriter and I, I for spiegel catalog and i hated it so much because it, it took my writing and i did all these really dumb things with like drill bits and you know how the sizes of shirts and you know just everything i was doing was just really killing my love of writing so i i switched over into design work because at that time when uh uh when i in the beginning of my career when i came out um of college all the software basically was invented so it was quark mm -hmm. photoshop illustrator all came out and it changed the face of advertising I hadn't gone into graphic design in college. My degree was in advertising and communication because I couldn't draw. And back then you had to be able to draw. And that changed everything. I, I learned the software and everybody in advertising who was an art director had to learn the software. And so I kind of leveled the playing field. So I got in on the ground floor and then, you know, 15 years later, I looked up and I was like, wow, how did I get here? Um, you know, do my best David Byrne imitation. Um, <laughs> and just was, realized I wasn't entirely happy with what I was doing. And right. so... Hanging out at Chuck's website, The Cult, um, I just hung out for a while, talked to a lot of people, just got excited about things. And then The Cult got me to a website called The Velvet, which okay. was a website that hosted three authors. Some, some of you may know, some of you may not. One was Craig Clevenger, one was Will Christopher Bear, and the third was Stephen Graham Jones. Now, if you're in the horror world, you probably know Stephen. You may not know Craig and, and Chris. Um, but they were doing a lot of kind of gritty realism, neo-noir. And at the time, I'd never even heard of it. I knew what noir was. Mm -hmm. I knew what film noir was, but I hadn't heard of neo-noir, which just means new, new black. Um, and if, if think of it in film terms, it'd be something like Mulholland Drive or The Machinist or Memento or even Blade Runner, which has like a sci-fi mm -hmm. angle to it. Absolutely. It yeah. takes the formulas of, of noir and crime uh, thrillers, uh, the classic stuff, and then does something new with it, something fresh and different and edgy. And I was like, wow, I didn't know you could do that. Um, and so I got really excited. And then Craig taught a class at the cult. So I took a class with, with Craig because I'm like, oh, my God, I want to get my work in front of him. And I want to meet him and hang out with him and just listen to him because he's brilliant. And that was the first class I'd taken in probably 25 years. And um, at the end of that class, there was one of my stories called Stillness that he said, I really like that one a lot. You should send it out. And I was like, okay. And I, I mean, when I came out of college, I sat in my apartment 
downtown Chicago. Seriously, 666 North Dearborn. <laughs> On the Gold Coast. I know. And I, someday I'll tell you about those stories. My, my <laughs> adult life and the crazy crap I went through. Um, and I would type on my Remington Quiet typewriter manually and pieces of paper and white out. It would mail off my stuff to like Wired and Omni, like back when Ellen Datlow was there, right? Back in the oh, day. Oh, yeah. And I uh, sure. ah, just, my work was such crap when I look back on it now. And I don't know what I thought. I just mail them out. Of course, I wasn't going to break in. They're some of the top markets. But um, studying with Craig, I was like, okay, where do I send it? And so I do a trope was a new thing. Like I didn't know about that back in the day. And so I, Went on, everything was shifting to being online. And sorry about the dog. No um, and then everything went online. And so I sent it out everywhere to the wrong places, to the New Yorker and the Paris Review and all these things. Wrong because, one, it wasn't literary fiction. And two, because there's no way I was going to get into any of those markets. So it was just, you know, a, a bad idea. Eventually, I sent it back around to a Cemetery Dance, which I'm sure you've heard of. Of as course. a publisher, and I wanted to get into the magazine because I've been—I grew up on Stephen King and read his stuff when I was a kid, and sorry, in high school, and probably I've read more of his work than anybody else. And so I've been a fan of Cemetery Dance as a reader and as a you know a fan. Um, and so I sent my work into Cemetery Dance, and they the magazine was didn't have anything at the time, but they said we have we have this anthology called Shivers, Shivers Six they were reading for, and I'd never I'd actually never heard of it before. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay. And I was kind of disappointed because I really wanted to be in the magazine. Um, and Brian Freeman at the time was the person who was taking the, the submission. He said, this will be a good thing for you, Richard. Trust me, you'll be happy about this. And I was like, oh, of course. I'm like, yeah, pro sale, cemetery dance. This will be great. Yeah. Um, and sorry, my wife just went to the grocery store and my son's upstairs and so nobody can take care of the dog. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I was like, sure, that's great. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to be with you guys. And then six months later, they um, they let me know that I got I was in there with Stephen King and Peter Straub and uh, a bunch of other people, Keelan Patrick Burke and a bunch of people. And that was oh, kind wow, of my, nice. uh, Brian Hodge, and that was kind of my breakout story, my first professional sale. And so once and that, that, was, happened, that was 15 years ago. That was 15 years ago. Yeah. Wow. And so that was you know that gave me the courage to keep going. And to just really take some more classes and keep writing. And so I, I took a bunch of other classes over there with, with Chuck and um, Jack Ketchum, rest in peace, and oh, yeah. Monica Drake and Max Berry and even Stephen Graham Jones. I think he was over at Lit Reactor when I took it. Um, and then eventually got my master's degree after I'd gone through a bunch of classes. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll teach. Maybe I'll do something else. And so I did a low-res program down in uh, Murray, Kentucky at Murray State University. And so that's how I got started was wow. one, one thing at a time, bit by bit, step by step, uh, story by story. When I look at my history of publishing my early credits, like a lot of those places are gone. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of those places didn't make it. Um, but that got me excited to write again. And, you know, when I found out I was going to be published alongside Stephen King, like that was such a surreal moment for me. Like, I think I cried because I just to go from being a lifelong fan to be in, being in an anthology with him. Yeah, like I, just, I almost couldn't process that. It was yeah. like I couldn't, you know, understand it and believe it. And that's really got what got me excited about writing dark fiction. Yeah, you know, I I was looking at some of your anthologies, and uh, there's a lot of big names that you uh, your name appears beside. Um, over the course of history, you've kind of yeah. continued on with your your uh, trajectory, which is really really cool. Very exciting. Thanks. Thanks. Um, 
Very, very cool. I, um, you know, it's it's always interesting to see, uh, you know, how people got started with that. You know, the the mistakes you made a, along the way, and the, like what you your anticipation was, what you thought at the beginning, like, oh, this is what I should probably do, and then looking back on it, it's like, oh my god, what was I thinking? But of course, you just you just don't know. You don't know that you can't just right. like you know, you know, cold email penguin books or something, and right. be like, hey, do you want to? Right. I wrote a book. I'm super important, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, wow, wow, this is great. No, no, it's not how it happens. Um, but that's that's really cool. And obviously, uh, Chuck Polinick has uh, the top um, blurb in your in your newest book. Which yeah, we have, yeah, that was. I mean, I've been lucky to publish alongside some pretty big names. Obviously, King. I think King four or five times now. A couple of different anthologies in Cemetery Dance. I finally got into the magazine proper. Twice nice. now. In fact, I'll be in there again at the latest issue, um, alongside nice. Neil, Neil Gaiman and Clyde Barker and Jack Ketchum and a bunch of people. So it's, it's been pretty and and Chuck too. Chuck Chuck, man, it, it's so crazy, Steve. I'll tell you this. So when we were sending out blurb requests for that collection, Spontaneous Human Combustion, I had my list of all these people, and like I had Chuck on there, but like like I've known Chuck a long time, and um, I think we're friends. Uh, I think he knows me by sight and by name. We co-edited an anthology together, Burnt Tongues, and um, Medallion did a great job with it. And then it, it they went under, and then Turner picked it up. And like he's just been super kind, super supportive. I was able to like go see him read a few times. And the last time I saw him, we got to hang out. Got to hang out with him and Irving Irvine Welsh um, of Train Spotting fame. And um, wow. Just super. I mean, to sit between those two guys, I felt like, oh my god, like I was so nervous <laughs> just to talk with them. Um, he's been so cool, so supportive over the years that when it came time for the blurb, I didn't even want to send him a request because I hate asking him for favors because people come to me all the time. And they're like, oh, can you get this to Chuck? Can you get, can you get this to Chuck? And like, I never do it for myself, and I try not to even bother him with other people's requests unless it's mm-hmm. like something I feel really is a good connection. Um, because I don't want to bug him. And he's, he's already so generous uh, with his time and just his support that um, my publishers are like, um, so are you going to reach out to Chuck? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay. Because funny story, back in the day when we were putting together Burnt Tongues, we uh, I was a workshop moderator. And the way we, Chuck's idea was to have this contest for a year, this workshop. And I was one of the moderators. And so I got to nominate, I don't know, five or six stories a month. And because everything was submitted, it was blind. The other moderators, if they liked my work, because they didn't know it would be me, they could. I actually got in front of Chuck like three times with my own writing, even as a moderator, because it was all blind going up the ladder. Hmm. So Dennis Widmeyer, of, he, he directed Starry Eyes, which is a great movie in the Pet Cemetery reboot. Um, I really love Starry Eyes a lot. Um, so up to Dennis and then on to Chuck. And so I got in front of him three times, and he hated my work. <laughs> Like, he really just tore it apart. He's he's a minimalist, and I'm a maximalist. And it's like, we're just at the opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and what's funny is one of the stories that got in front of him that he, he just really did not like got into Cemetery Dance. That was my into the magazine proper. And so it's like I had to learn to take his, his dislike of my work as – and I tried to take everything I could from it, but then also to not curl up in a corner and cry and quit writing. So years right. later – I mean, I guess it, hopefully that means I've grown as a writer. He's, and gotten I mean, he's a hero, so obviously. Right. So for him to give me that blurb, you know, saying, uh, I'll see if I can quote it. 
Richard Thomas, in, in range alone, Richard Thomas is boundless. He is Bradbury, he is Gaiman, he is Lovecraft. And I was like, can we curse on this show? Yeah. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy yeah, shit. Fuck yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I I was so shocked to get that blurb That's, from him because that is a hell of a blurb. It's that a hell, hell of a blurb. blurb. I mean, coming from anybody. Yeah. Yes. It would be a hell of a blurb. And and more important, I mean, his praise and approval meant the world to me. But also, I couldn't think of three people I'd rather be compared to, really, as writers. What a, what a range of influences. I mean, Bradbury is such an amazing writer. I grew up reading Bradbury. Love his work. Gaiman, I mean, couldn't be a more contemporary master of fantasy and, mm -hmm. and horror. And, and Lovecraft, like, is really... I'm a big fan of Lovecraftian fiction to have that comparison. Cause I do write Lovecraftian fiction. I like mm. to slide into the surreal. I like to look at the uncanny and the liminal spaces and the new weird. And so to put that all together, I'm like, I just, <laughs> when I turned it into Turner, they're like, that's going to go right on the cover. And I'm like, it's succinct. It's powerful. It's coming from Chuck. Yeah. I'm like, I just, I was really blown away because I, I honestly didn't. I didn't think he was even going to reply. <laughs> like I thought he'd be like, "Oh, really? I'm busy," or like, you know, yeah. Richard wrote some stories. Here they are collected. You know, so I just that meant the world to me. And um, to have this collection do so well, to to make the you know final ballot. Yeah. Um, to I've gotten three star reviews, including Publishers Weekly, which I've never gotten for anything in my career. It just really feels great because. When I put together this collection, I felt like it was some of my best work to date, but I didn't know how people were going to respond. You know, I, yeah, didn't just, sure. I didn't just grab the last 15 stories. I tried to really, the last five or six years, I've really been working hard mm -hmm. on honing my craft and improving and learning from the masters and reading the best yeah. horror of the year every year and, and teaching these people. And, you know, I got into best horror of the year for a co-written story two years ago and all these things coming together that I'm like, I just want to put out great work and to have this kind of, you know, love and support and recognition, just, it feels great because, you know, especially the, 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 the final ballot now, it's like, these are my people and to have the horror community embrace my work um, just means a lot. You know, it's funny because the last story in the collection ring of fire was on the preliminary Bram Stoker ballot for long fiction and then didn't make the final ballot. And I was really kind of disappointed because I thought, this is some of my best work. And I, you know, I know it's a little weird, but like, I, I really hope it would make it because I, mm. I, I don't know what more to do, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but when I look at the numbers again, it's so, I mean, how many law, okay. So long fiction, anything over a short story. So novelette and novellas, there must've been hundreds in any given right. year. Oh, yeah. so to make, even to make the preliminary ballot to make the top yes. 12. Exactly. It's crazy. And so to exactly. make the final is just, I guess, getting that close. It's hard to get that close and then to not mm -hmm. make it disappointing. But I was ha so happy that the collection did because I, when it came to the preliminary ballot, I was like, oh, I should be able to make that, thinking there were maybe 20 nominees <laughs> or recommended collections. There were 63. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, there were, I didn't know there were so many collections out last year. And so to make the preliminary was actually pretty uh, odd or against me. That's pretty exciting. And then yeah, to make the final, absolutely. like that really just, it's just crazy. And I'm just, I really feel honored and flattered and humbled. And it's just really been a very cool experience. And, you know, I'm just excited to see what happens next. Absolutely. You know, and I think it's, uh, I think it's extra cool too that, you know, the, cause the actual category 
is um is uh you know I have it written down here. I was in a different tab. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's so it's just yeah, superior achievement in a fiction collection, right? So that could mean all written by one author, or it could just mean a traditional anthology written by all different writers, right? So it's uh I I think personally that it's more impressive when it's your own collection. As cool as it is, you know, to be as as it would be to be a part of any collection or whatever. But when it's yours, it's like wow, you know, you're going up against everybody. Yeah. And uh, those, you know, normal, you know, I call them normal anthologies. I guess I don't know what to. Yeah. But you know, all different authors. I was actually I sidebar. I did have a. Uh, I was on the preliminary two years ago for for nice. one of those. Nice. Uh, we didn't make the final ballot, but. Uh, that still felt pretty good for for being like just I had one story in the collection, yeah. but uh, that was pretty fun and it was like yeah. it was it was like oh my god what's gonna happen you know when that final ballot came out but that's okay yeah. we didn't make it but yeah there's just so so many it's and crazy. Uh, it's crazy. And it's, I've, it's I've actually really I've actually never been nominated impressive. for a Bram Stoker Award for my own writing I was nominated in the anthology category a number of years ago for Burnt Tongues actually. And oh, my okay. Shirley, my Shirley Jackson Award. Here, I can I can show you my rock. Oh, oh please do. That's my rock. Oh, that's so cool. That was for another anthology I, I edited, um, Exigencies. That's all new fiction. But this is the first time I've made it on my own. I mean, like you said, some of the categories are crazy. Could you imagine making the final ballot in the short story category? There no. must be thousands of short okay. stories out every year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm just really... I'm just honored to, to have made it and I'm, I'm really it's excited awesome. and, and yeah. just, you know, hoping this is my time. And um, I don't know, I just, it's all been really cool. There's so much other stuff going on and things I can't even talk about, but mm -hmm. you know, film, film rights and um, other, uh, my agent's been shopping my latest book incarnate and, you know, we have an offer on it. And so I'm just really excited about oh, that. Wow. Fingers crossed. So trying to see what happens with that. And then I'm really hoping I'm, I might be getting my last two books back into print. Disintegration and Breaker, they were only out in ebook format and have never been actually published in print. And so I, oh. and Breaker was actually nominated for a Thriller Award. So I feel like everything's coming together at the same time. That it's, you know, it's one of those things that in Hollywood, they'd be like this overnight success story that I've been doing for the past 15 years, right? You know, <laughs> everything's coming together. And it's so exciting because yeah. when you think about it, if I could have all these things out at the same time, if I could have four collections and four novels and mm. all this work, it's like, that's a body of work. And like people, yeah. I was lucky enough to just, uh, I opened up for Stephen Graham Jones when he was in town for his latest book, Fear the Reaper, right? Yeah, that's the one. And yep. uh, uh, just to be a part of that, you know, to see, I think there was a like hundred tickets for the show and it sold out. And then like hanging out afterwards, uh, cause Doug Morano uh, interviewed him during, they had the talk. Mm -hmm. And then, so Steven and Doug and I hanging out and Doug, and, uh, I'm sorry, Gus Moreno. I was, I was Doug, Doug Morano <laughs> and Gus Moreno. Gosh. Um, Doug Morano, the editor, Gus Moreno, the writer, Gus and I go back to cult days and Steven and I go back to velvet days. So we go way back. And so yeah. this is the table. I've never felt so much like an opening act <laughs> as I did on that because I, I did my little spiel, my introduction of him, and the audience was great. But like when Steven was on stage, oh my god, they were on the edge of their seats. They loved him so I mean, much; they were laughing at everything he had to say. Yeah, Gus and I are sitting at the table for the signing, and it was so cool because the bookstore had books for Gus and had books for me too. I had my collection there, but it was like 
Everybody who came brought a book of Stevens. Yeah, well, you know, had, he, like, a he's a rock of, like, star. I mean, I have my own shelf for Steven mm-hmm. <laughs> of, his, of his books. I get it. But it's like every every five people or so, somebody, you know, would have something for Gus. And he'd yeah. be like, oh, great. So signed his, his, his latest book. Um, <laughs> yeah, nice. pulling up. And then like every 10, there'd be somebody for me. So it'd be Steven, 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 Gus. Steven, 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 Gus, Richard. <laughs> so every <laughs> once in a while, I'd have somebody be like, hey, I know you. And I, hey. so I had a dozen copies of my book there and they sold out and I was like thrilled. But like Steven's a rock star. He's the one blown up. It's just, it's so yeah. cool because we go back a long ways and he's kind of an informal mentor to me and, you know, had me out to UC Riverside as a guest author and just has been super cool and supportive. And nice. So nice to see him blow up because he deserves yeah. it. He's one of my favorite writers. And yeah. I learned so much from publishing his work, publishing his collection um, after people lights have gone off, editing his work, just, you know, publishing McGamut, just hanging around him and talking and hanging out. He's just brilliant and super kind and generous and uh, just ha- really happy for his success. Uh, yeah, me too. Like I, I love, uh, you know, I love to see that. And it's like what you said about, um, you know, it seems like it's an overnight success. You could say that about Stephen Graham Jones. Oh, he just, this guy came out of nowhere. Right. It's like, yeah, no, he's been at it forever, but he's blowing up now. And, uh, you know, Mallerman is blowing up now yeah. or last yeah. year or whatever, but he's been around for a while. And, you know, these, these people, you know, they, they have put in, the years and the work yeah, and the I toil have. and the blood and the, all that stuff with, with Stephen Graham Jones. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love how honest the guy is too. So, I mean, there's, there's also that, I think he, he is able to uh, portray a version of himself. That's for the public, for public consumption that is just yeah. really attractive. I mean, he's got all the wrappings, he's got the cool hair and the shades and stuff, but there's just something about him that's very, very honest and uh, yeah. I think people respond to. And I certainly uh, take inspiration from that kind of a yeah. thing too. I always try to uh, find a connection with people that I'm I'm meeting uh, as either a fan or as the, the author on the other side of the table yeah. or whatever. But I think that's really, really important too. I think yeah. that's a really, um, that's not a skill that everybody has The, the no. you know, your charisma stat, uh, is, isn't so easy to, uh, to yeah. increase in real life, but, uh, totally. yeah, I want to roll 20 on that one. Yeah. It's yeah. Steve, Steven's so cool. Um, and I'm like, I'm waiting for the first movie to come out based on his work. You know, I, I know Josh Mallerman a little bit and I'd seen bird box come out was super cool. And, you know, Paul Tremblay and I go way back, seeing his, you know, knock on oh, the so Paul's from my yeah. neck of the woods. Yeah. And seeing yeah. Paul's stuff come out. Like, it's so cool seeing people having, like, on Netflix and having, you mm-hmm. know, all this kind of stuff. It's just really super cool to see um, people not only getting their written word out there in a number of different ways, stories and novellas and books, but also to be, you know, seeping into Hollywood. And um, I'm just really happy for all their success. And it's you know, I feel honored to be around these guys because they're all, they've yeah. all influenced my work. And I've kind of, you know, Steven's been the carrot to the horse of my cart that is my writing career for quite a long time. And oh, wow. you know, they've, been, they've been, you know, coming back to my collection, there's been work in my collection. If you read, the, if you read the end notes at all that speak to his direct influence on my work in there, like the story I have in there, um, undone is 1500 oh. words, 1501 words, one sentence. That it was inspired by a story of his Fabergé that I I reprinted a gamut and in editing it for to put it online I was like oh my god this is like one sentence I'm like how does he do this and it's just kind of this stream of consciousness like this this kind of casual intimacy this retelling of a story 
And so Sarah Reed, I think, I don't know if you know Sarah, she's a really amazing horror writer too. She's gotten into best horror and she won a Bram Stoker award for a novel that actually I edited too. Um, nice. She was editing over at Pantheon. They, they used to do a lot of kind of Greco-Roman mythology themed issues of their magazine. Okay. And uh, I, she asked, I, I asked her, you know, I had the story, this idea on it and she had an open call and like, what's the minimum word count? She's like 1500. And so I'd, I'd always, I'd wanted to take a run at trying to write a one sentence story. And I'm like, okay, can I get it to 1501 words? Cause that's, I mean, if Stephen could do eight, like, can I, can I even do eight? Can I do 50 words? I don't know. And it was such a challenge to make this kind of almost live real time, nothing but commas and maybe a few ellipses <laughs> yeah. and, and dashes. So I, um, I read this one. Yeah, uh, this was that, actually this was of the uh, stories that I was able to read yeah. uh, in this collection. That was actually my favorite. Um, oh wow! And I, I was actually looking uh, at this, and it's an entire page. I'm like, the sky writes in walls of text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like this is a block, man. I know. Yeah. yeah. And I kept thinking about like when I talk to my students about gimmicks and tricks and formatting, all these things we do. Like I always tell them do these things if they serve the story, if it makes it better. One of the things mm -hmm. I talk about is all things serving serving the beam. That's like a Stephen King <laughs> nice. dark power reference, right? Sure, yep. It just means like, you know, Schitt's Creek folded in, serves the heart. Get, you know, are you, are you, oh are you, man, I love these doing, references. Yeah. Richard. Oh, <laughs> right man, on. We're, we're everything right that now. you're doing supports the heart of what you're doing. The story yeah. is the theme, the genre, the plot, right? And it's so, all 19. It's all yeah, 19. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I tried to make sure that like the idea of doing it in real time, two people driving a car and racing and falling down and running through the woods, trying to beat these things that are chasing them. It felt mm -hmm. like that would be something I could tell quickly, kind of out of breath, stream of consciousness, and it would it would work as a as a formatting structure and not just be a gimmick. Because I hate stories mm -hmm. that are just a gimmick for gimmick's sake. Like it has to serve the story. And so, you know, thanks to Stephen inspiring me, showing me, you know, how things can be done. Um, I don't think I ever would have taken a run at something like that if I hadn't seen him do it first. <laughs> Interesting. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so Undone, uh, since we're here, this sure. is actually uh, not my next question. Let's just skip to it, though. Go for it. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I really did find this one especially fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's, a, it's a really good example of, um, you know, how you write something being as important as what is being written. Uh, what mm -hmm. is the story about? is important but you know what is the story sure how are you going to tell it is so important and what i got from all of the stories that i read in this collection of yours is that you are very very concerned with um how uh in fact that's yeah i'll, I'll just i'll just say this part now uh what's really your language is uh the quality of your prose is very high caliber i would say Thank you. um uh to me it it's it seems to be almost what you're mostly concerned with. Uh, and that's not a dig at the stories at all. It's just it, the way that you tell the story is so important. You seem to be hearkening uh, back to like a bygone era, you know, like when, you know, it's not Gothic, it's close to Gothic. Like I kept mm -hmm. wanting, my brain's like Gothic, but no, it's, it's really not Gothic. So you said neo-noir at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I sort of get, uh, you mentioned Lovecraft. Of course, there's, there's some, there's some Lovecraft in there. Love Obviously, it. you have yeah. a Lovecraft story. Yeah, yeah. You do have the in his house. Yes, uh, which is yes. fun. Yeah. Um, also, I, it sort of makes me think more of like uh, like a 
a Robert W. Chambers, like mm. the King in Yellow or something like old timey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like old timey speak, you know, this mm. is not the prose of today um, or even like, um, like a Fritz, uh, Fritz Lieberg or somebody like, mm. I mean, he was written writing in the, the 60s and 70s. So he's not, you know, a hundred years ago, but Fritz was, he had a way of, he, 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 he would challenge you at all times. Like, um, Fr Fritz Lieberg, somebody that I have to read passages multiple times. Yeah. And it, it really demands your full attention. And I really got that with your stuff. Like it's I couldn't possibly, my mind couldn't wander. It was impossible. Yeah. I had to concentrate. And I think that's really rare these days. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, even, even of the, uh, we're mentioning a lot of successful authors just a few minutes ago. Uh, not every a lot of people i think that are the authors that are finding success i think are more the workman style prose it's not mm -hmm. as big a deal at how eloquent or how structured right. there's almost a poetry to your prose yes and i think that um i think that that really i mean to me it's so incredibly apparent from like sentence one you know of any one random story yes. and then it continued on throughout so it's clearly you which yeah. is just awesome and uh mm -hmm. and i'm sure that you know i just well i just want to say that but also you know for people who are looking for a little bit more of a challenging read i would not say that these are the, the easy breeziest of all stories to read no. like there's lighter fare out there of this this book seems more serious it demands a little bit of the the reader i would say um yeah. and and you have this way too of so undone let's get back to undone it's a short story sure so you said it's only 1500 words so that's for those of you who don't count stories by word count who aren't authors that is very very short yeah um a short story can be seven thousand words a short story can be Technically, like ten or twelve thousand words. Technically, most people, most open calls that I see tend to ask for between three and seven. Tends yeah. to be pretty, yeah. uh, pretty standard, I would say. So, fifteen hundred words is not flash fiction, but it's like on the shorter end yeah, of, of short. But it's it's aside from being just a, a short story, it's also a very small story. Like the it really takes place in like a span of maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Right. Probably. As long as you can read it, that's how long it takes place. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. It's just a mad dash from start to finish. It is. And so hence the stream of consciousness, which is super fascinating. So again, we come back to the how, the how is it being told? So mm -hmm. obviously we we've already buried the lead here because you, you've already said that that is how this, the genesis of this particular story started. Yeah. So I think that is really interesting. You're like, well, I want to write a story in this way. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So, but what I was going to ask um, was, uh, yeah, because you, you, you use double entendre in a really interesting mm -hmm. way in the story. Thanks. You're, you're constantly like talking about the birth and my child yeah. Yeah. and all these things. And they're, you know, it's, it, people hear double entendre and they think it's, it's always sexy and it, it just it's just not the case it's not what a double entendre has to be it can yeah. be that yeah but you use it in a really interesting way throughout that's like wait a second what do they really mean so for me with this story i was like really hanging on every single line because yeah. every line it was important there's so few right. of them yeah and uh so anyway i, th I think you did a, a just a masterful job with the story but um so 
the way that you write a story, the angle, uh, you, you know, how you come at something, yeah. is that always something that you sort of, or not maybe not always, but d- does that tend to be something that you'd figure out first? Or do you sometimes sit down and you're like, oh, I, I want to write a story about a rock who gets married and, and has baby rocks. <laughs> how do I tell that story though? Cause that's right, weird. Right. Yeah. Do you sit there? Do you ever sit there and like have to figure out how to tell the story because yeah. it's not immediately obvious? Yeah, it, it depends on the story. If I let me let me back up and address a couple things here. So hmm. first, I think on on a bad day, people call my prose purple. I I I call myself a maximalist. So whereas Chuck Palahniuk is a minimalist, um, most of the stories in my collection are maximalist. Although I think Notice Tolums is the most Stephen King in there, probably the most minimalist. And it's what the most telling. Um, I, there's a lot of people that have influenced my style. Everybody we've mentioned before already, but also people like Brian Evanson, um, Jeff Vandermeer. His book Annihilation was a big impact on my mm. work. It had a big impact on the story Ring of Fire, yeah. the novelette at the end. Um, Cormac McCarthy. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, so many people, literary, fantasy, science fiction, horror. Anybody that did something weird and different, you know, China, China Mieville, like Perdido Street Station is a book that really stayed with me. Mm. Um, all those things went into my work so that I do want it to flow. Like I will change a word in a sentence if ED, I stumble over it versus ING. I want it when I read it in my head or out loud, I want it to flow as, as seamlessly and as poetically yeah, and and easily. There's a music. There's a music there. You're trying. Yeah, to get I, to so it. I'm trying to hear that with my ear, mm-hmm. knowing that not everything can be dense. Knowing that you know, I like heavy senses, all five senses, sensory detail and setting, um, neo noir, but even more these days, new weird, which comes out of the old weird, which was Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, paired. I like that, I like that term a lot. New weird. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, Jeff Jeff Vandermeer talks a lot about it. He's published and written a lot of stuff. China kicked off the new weird move. I'd say Jeff's stuff is probably new weird too. It, it pairs the old weird with like people like Clive Barker's visceral body horror, uh, to quote Jeff, to create this kind of intense, layered, weird, uncanny, surreal story. And then depending on the genre you're writing or the particular story, how much or how much little you want to do is you're going to kick it up or kick it, you know, dial it back down. Horror to me always begs for more setting and more sensory detail because that's the tension in a story. Absolutely, it's the pairing of terror with horror, terror being the clues and the hints and the little details and the unknown and the things that are foreshadowed and the promises and the paranoia. And then you meet up with a thing that's the, the horror is the reveal, it's yes. the truth, yep. it's the thing come home to roost, it's the monster, it's the violence, right. So I try to I I horror is a big influence on my work as is uh, neo noir as is the new weird and then my MFA slides in some literary fiction you know I mentioned Cormac Dennis Johnson Mary Gateskull um, uh, Haruki Murakami uh, so many different so many different people that have uh, Tony Morrison that have just it's it's this weird hybrid work that I do so I when it comes to the stories. Um, I often come at it from a place, an idea or or an emotion. Mm. Um, so sometimes, like with Ring of Fire, that was a story. I was invited into an anthology that was Seven Deadly Sins, and it was horror, and I got assigned Lust. So with Lust and Horror, I thought, well, I don't want it to be Pain and Pleasure. I don't want to do Hellraiser. 
I don't want it to be rapey or misogynistic. How can I get to this place and do something different? And so I, I tried to lean into something else and it became the science fiction story, the story of isolation inspired by Brian Evanson's novella, The Warren and the movie Moon and all these different things and bits right. of Annihilation too. Um, so then it had this kind of weird hybrid work. Um, but at the heart of it was this um, story of the hundredth monkey. Have you heard this thing before the hundredth monkey? No. No, I talk about it in the end notes a little bit. There's, this is all supposed to be true, that off the coast of Japan, I'll, I'll try and tell it real quick, that there was a bunch of monkeys and scientists studying them, and they had a problem with the sand and the dirt getting into their food and getting into their teeth and causing like digestive problems and problems with their teeth, all these things. And so one day, a, a, a younger monkey goes down to the beach and starts washing the coconuts in the water. And then the other younger monkeys start doing it, and then the older monkeys start doing it. And you have to understand it's a big deal because the hierarchy with monkeys is it's always the elders and the younger the young youngsters don't teach the they don't listen to the kids, right? But then the elders start doing it. And then suddenly, I think they were macaw or something, the monkeys, suddenly macaw. all of the other the other macaws on the island start all of them started washing their food. And then mm-hmm. all the monkeys on the island started washing their food. And then suddenly all of the macaws everywhere in the world started washing their food, and then all monkeys in the world started washing their food. So it was this kind of spontaneous human or monkey, spontaneous evolution, this collective unconscious or subconscious that they somehow tapped into. I know it sounds a little hippy-dippy to talk about this stuff, but (laughs) it happens all the time. Someone will discover a cure for a disease in Russia, and then they'll discover it at the same time in, in the UK, at the same time they discover it in Africa. Like, once you put it out there in the ether, it's, it's there to be discovered. Now, I don't know what if you believe any of that stuff or not, but that's the monkey story. And okay. that, that helped to inspire my <clears throat> story, which kind of taps into the idea of the 1,000th monkey, the truth of what's going on in this place and what the, um, the protagonist, is, who he is and how he's the 100,000th monkey man. Man is just that, specifically him trying to change – how bad men behave in order to evolve as a species, right? I don't want to say anything more for those who haven't read it, but okay. um, so yeah, sometimes it, it comes from an idea. Sometimes it comes from an emotion. Sometimes it comes from a, uh, something I'm invited into. The other story you mentioned in his house, that's yes. a very specific format. Um, Undone, obviously I wanted to do, cause I tried to think of how do I, how do I get to a 1500 word story? And I started writing. And I'm like, Oh, like we're just, we're just not going to stop. Like I have them running, and I'm like, well, let's just do one sentence and then just let it flow. And the hardest part was trying to find how not to drop the ball, how to mm-hmm. keep juggling, and how to, you know, commas and m dashes, how to change from the car to the dirt to somebody falling down to running in the woods to the big thing at the end without ever having a hard break or, or even feeling like the reader can stop reading. Like I would even not pause and read. And if I'm reading it, if I if I trip or stop, like I've screwed up. I have to find a way to hand that baton off from place to place from moment to moment without losing the reader, right? Mm-hmm. And I appreciate all the things you said about the double entendres and the birth and everything because the, the twists and surprises in there, hopefully you don't see coming and it turns into something else at the end, I hope is uh, unexpected. In his house, <laughs> For <is> sure. very, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> in his house is this epistolary second person Lovecraftian story where yeah. it's, it's like a it's an email that has also been disguised as a story in an anthology, which has also been disguised as a postcard or a letter that this message that's coming through to the reader 
that they have stumbled across it. So it depends on how they find that story, right? And right. if they're reading it in an anthology, they are under the spell of the story. And so all I'm trying to do to get the reader in the, in the story to play along with it is to kind of say Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice three times. And once you've said it, to conjure, to you're, you've been trapped in the spell. And it's in this kind of Lovecraftian uh, Cthulhu speak, which I'm not going to try and say, but I, it's kind of this casual, intimate, it's like we're having a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. No, thank you for listening to this. And no, Oh, I'm yeah, the, yeah the, the reader is a character. Yes, in this case. it's speaking directly to the reader. And I don't do a lot of second person because I find that you, that whoever the you is in the story, I often, I think that's a really hard trick to pull off. That's another yeah, thing. Yeah, no one does it. Yeah, show me, <laughs> and it, I think it's really tricky. And so this made sense to me that this format would serve that second person. Yeah. And that you, what's tricky is as the reader, if you're freaked out by the weirdness in the story, then you have to stop reading. So you'll never finish the story. <laughs> well, if you want to see what's going to happen, you have to at least run your eyes across the, you know, mm -hmm. Lovecraftian speak. And by doing so, you've, you've been trapped and invoked these words, right? And so if you want, if you're going to finish the story, you're going to do the thing that I want you to do. And that should lead to your demise. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm uh, happy to report I'm still here. But are you? <laughs> I thought I was until you just asked me that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of right. fun at the end because it, it all talks about it's this guy who's preparing this thing to happen. He's trying to get out of the deal that he's been trapped mm -hmm. in. It's like there will come yeah. a day when, you know, I will call you home when the things we've said here will come to roost. And so we, even when we finish the story, it's not happening now, but it's going to happen <laughs> in the future. So, I don't know. These, these metafictional. Damn tricks. it, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I know you read the words. Uh, I don't know if these metafictional stories really work, but I, I don't know. I tried to have fun with it. That's a little bit different than my usual kind of, you know, story structure. And um, so to answer your question in a, in a long roundabout way, sometimes the structure comes first. Sometimes it's the idea or the emotion. Sometimes it's some goals have been nailed down for something I've been, I've been invited into. Like there was an anthology called liminal spaces. It had to do with liminal spaces, right? Some of those things give you some parameters, um, and then it's just a matter of, as I try and find the story and the heart and the protagonist, uh, everything I try to find, what best serves that story. And so I try to make decisions, all things serving the beam, right, of what what's the best possible way I can tell this story that I can pull off as a maximalist who likes to write fancy sci-fi, horror, neo-noir, new weird stories. I want to lean into my strengths and I want to tell a story that, you know, that's in my voice that does all the things I'm trying to do in a way that is accessible, that people can find some homage in it, they can understand what's going on and find their way into it, and then try to subvert the expectation while still delivering what I promised. So that's the trick I'm trying to pull off here. Hmm. And, you know, I fail all the time. I have stories that don't work. There's days, I for me, it's feast or famine. Um, either I have a good day and I write two, three, four, five, six thousand words, or I get zero. And I never know what it's going to be. So sometimes stories can take me months. Sometimes I can get it in a day, but um, I never know. And so yeah. I try to put a lot of myself into my work. I try to open myself up to it. I try to be vulnerable. I try to write body, mind, and soul in that I try to write body. I try to entertain at one level. And then I try to emote at the next level with emotion to get you to feel. And I try and write at an intellectual level to make you think and just keep thinking about the story after it's done. If I can get it to work on all three levels, I will not only appeal to base entertainment. So people don't want to be moved 
and don't want to think too hard, you don't have to. You can just read it for fun. You don't have to get everything, right? Those who want more emotion, if I do my job, hopefully I can get you to feel something at the end of the story, leave you with an emotion. Um, and then the third level, if, if everything's working, like all this monkey stuff I was just talking about, if that works for you, if you buy into it, you, it might blow your mind. I'm trying to blow your mind. Thinking of Twilight Zone and Night Gallery and all the things that came before me. Can you walk away from that and go, oh, my God, is that possible? Like, I'm not a hard sci-fi writer. I'm not that smart. I can't handle the math of those things. But if I can get it to work on those three levels, at least a little bit on each level, then I think that opens me up to a bigger audience. And then, of course, anybody who wants a minimalist experience, like, they're already not going to be a fan of my work. So I'm never going to sell them. So it's people who want that in a maximalist contemporary dark setting that, you know, hopefully it'll work for them. Mm. Well, I think that um, you can, you know, there, there's so, like I, like I said before, there's so many popular writers that are doing a great job and are having good careers that are, you know, you know, sort of about, about just the story. They're not worried about that stuff. Um, so I think it's, it's super refreshing to see how much you, how much thought you are putting into that stuff. And I mean, that's kind of like a Donnie Darko thing, right? Like right. you can easily see yeah. Donnie Darko and be like, uh, what the fuck was that about? You know, like you not get it at all. Or you can right. be like, oh, uh, yeah, it was a interesting story about a, guy, a kid who had a dream. Uh, and then he got killed at the end. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And then you could be whole other level level, like. 10 levels up and you're like dissecting all the theories of temporal displacement and time travel and nonsense. Totally. And, uh, Love that and yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like it's, it's, you know, or if we need a dumber, a dumber example, it's like, you know, do you need to see the MCU shows to, to understand the movies? Right. Do you right. need to, do you need to watch Moon Knight? Well, Right. maybe yeah but it's not it depends really. on how how into it you are right all right exactly and if you're yeah. super into it and you're dissecting it on that level and it's it's good to have all the information totally. and uh, i think that's really cool um so we okay so spontaneous human co combustion this is a, a very interesting cover let's let's Thanks. talk about there's a there's another level to this book that i want to make sure we we talk about the cover is really really Unique, very much stands out in a crowd, especially in an era. I can talk along with you. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's especially interesting to me in an in an era where, so for a couple of reasons, in an era where pre-made book covers are everywhere and they all start to look the same. Yeah, this looks very very different. But also, you made the bold choice to make a horror book with a white cover. That, my friend, is ballsy. Yeah. But, it absolutely stands out. It yes. does read as horror because you have that pop of red and you have this motif of uh, the spray, the spray blood, the blood spatter yeah. Yeah. Um, and stuff. So yeah. Can you uh, talk about this cover? Like yeah. spontaneous yeah. human combustion to me is fire. And you're right. like, no, it's, it's a werewolf. <laughs> well, and then it's actually uh, something else too. So um the artist on the cover, M.S. Corley, did a great job. When I, Stephanie over at Turner is the one who signed me and acquired this collection because she'd been working with me on the Burt Tongues re-release. And she and I had a lot of conversations about the cover. And she really liked this artist. And we were talking about another rich I was trying to actually, do you know who Luke Chu is? No. He's like, um, I don't know if I can't get him, but he's, he's a really amazing artist, but he's huge. No, like kind of a pop artist, uh, 
this really cool um i can't think of describe but anyway i couldn't get to some of the huge names i wanted but she said this guy's great work with him he'll give you a bunch of different ideas and so i sent him the collection and he what's cool is that he read the collection so he had a which not not all artists do and that's I know, that's rare he's asking yeah. a lot but uh this, this is his kind of jam this is his stuff too so i think he, he enjoyed it so he was up for the challenge um, or at least dipped in enough to get a sense of what we're doing, right? And what's tricky about this story, this collection, is that people think spontaneous human combustion and they think fire, right? And think sure. of people bursting into flames. And mm -hmm. while there is some fire in this in this collection in various stories, there is neither a, a story about people bursting into flames. There is no spontaneous human combustion, and there really aren't any werewolves either. Now, there are wolves, there are animals, there are things in here. Um, it's about something else. So I think everything we've been talking about so far, you probably shouldn't be surprised <laughs> that I would have this deep understanding of what the cover means. Um, we He sent me a bunch of different covers and a bunch of different ideas. We talked about the themes that were going on in this collection, contemporary dark fiction, neo-noir, new weird, and the idea of hope. There's a lot of hope in this collection because the last six years going through the pandemic and all this stuff like i found i couldn't write things that were so bleak because i just couldn't take any more of it right people were dying it was crazy out there and i was like i can't write a bleak dark i can't be requiem for a dream i just can't be dark 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 down 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 and down bleak everybody dies everybody suffers right not that there aren't dark stories in here there are not that some of these stories the horror doesn't win it does but to me, it was most of the time I wanted the journey to be worth it. And I wanted the to come out the other side for there to be hope in the form of hope or justice or vengeance or, or balancing of the scales or something. So a lot of these stories, not that they all have happy endings, but some sort of balance has been made. Sometimes depends on who wins and who loses, right? So the idea of this is you see it's a woman's face and mm -hmm. inside there is this beast. So... There's this, um, I think it's a Native American parable you probably heard about the two wolves that live inside us, right? Sure. One is love and one is hate. Which one survives? The one you feed. So if you feed love, love will grow. If you feed hate, hate will grow. That's one idea that went into the inception of this cover, that if you, you know, we aren't born horrible people, I don't think. <laughs> I guess nature and nurture, sometimes maybe people are. But for the most part, we're, ta we're taught love and hate. Either Whichever way you go with it is, is what you're taught and the environment you're on and what you choose to accept. Um, I know I people tend to you know leave home and move to a big city and go to college and things to get away from places where they don't want to be around certain bigoted behaviors, right? They, they, and they go to college and get educated and they're like, oh, I see there's a whole world out here. And people aren't horrible just because of the color of their skin or their orientation. They understand that we're all human, right? So the, the, the heart of this image also has to do with the duality of human nature. Hmm. But inside all of us is a beast. Inside all of us is hate and impatience and road rage and the ability to probably kill somebody if they have to. Like I carry around this nugget of defense in me in case I ever have to protect the people I love. But I'm a pacifist. I'm not a violent person. I don't like violence. I've been in fights. I've been hit. I, you know, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> I don't like it. So uh, the heart of this story is, I think you have to look at this and ask yourself, is the face of the woman, because it looks kind of like a doll too. It doesn't even look human. Is it holding in something 
like, is it good or bad? Is it, is it bad coming out or is it good holding the thing in? Or is like, I think we have the options, duality of, of nature. There's a lot of stories in here that deal with duality, um, either good people becoming bad or bad people trying to become good, um, that we're both. And that's really how we, how we deal with it. You know, my third book, Breaker, was all about uh, the idea of a serial killer, um, Raymond. Is he? Is it nature or nurture? Is he? If he's, if he's born into a family where there are bad people in the family, is he going to become a serial killer? If he is raised by people who are abusive, is he going to be a serial killer? Serial killer, or both, or either? Like, what does it? What makes him into who he is? Have you seen the Mind Hunter series? Which I'm so I'm so sad they're not bringing it back. <laughs> Uh, fascinating trying to understand are some people just born with this, you know, a problem in their brain, other people conditioned through their families and the way they're raised. Um, and can you, can you change that fate? You're born into it, raised that way. And that was the whole fascination of that book was I had this character who was kind of this gentle giant, kind of this Lenny of Mice and Men, um, okay. uh, uh, Boo Radley, uh, John Coffey in the Green Mile, uh, like all these people that are kind of big, quiet types that are misunderstood to be monsters when they're not. Um, and I was fascinated to write that book to see what he did. Could I prevent him from becoming the thing he was destined to become? So there's a, there's a lot of that in this collection too. So he showed me a bunch of different covers. And I just, I just love the sharpness of her face and the, this thing inside, you know, and I love the technique. Mm-hmm. It's kind of feels spray painted, but it, uh, mm-hmm. so it's not like super gory, so you have to ask yourself, is the paint dripping, is that paint dripping down from like spray paint or is it, is it blood? Right. Um, and then this, uh, the covers, I, I, I'm actually trying to figure out, like it has a slight tint to it. Like I wanted to say it has a touch of color, but it is very much Off-white. white. There's Off-white. a little, there's a little speckle Egg, in there too. Eggshell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> taupe. I, I catch like just a touch of blue green, but it's just like a, like a, Three percent or something, um, okay. but yeah, it's definitely a different cover. And then it's not this dark, foreboding kind of classic horror tropes, because I didn't want that. Because I wanted people to get into not the spontaneous human combustion element, but the spontaneous human combustion element. Hmm. The emphasis on the, the wrong syllable, as my parents used to say. When I was sure. Yes. Well, you know, uh, you, you've uh, succinctly made me look like an idiot because uh, I did I did just fall for the trap of werewolf and admitted it right to your face. So uh, you're like, sit down. Uh, All right. No, I mean, me... there are there are wolves in here, and there. Are, I, um... I'm a opine on this because it's there's so many there's 16 levels of deepness here. Um, no, that's uh, that is really really cool, and uh, yeah, I mean, I see all of that. I see all of that now in there it's it's and it's i don't know it's a really just very strong image and i'm sure uh you know it'll mean different things to different people which it's right that's That's what what i'm trying to do right exactly exactly and then what's cool is that when when stephanie sent me over i think it was like 10 or 12 different covers Mm -hmm. she said i have a favorite i'm not going to tell you what it is you tell me which one you like and i went through it and he gave me so many great options this one i kept coming back to and when i told her i wanted this one out of number five or something she's like yeah i like the same one and so I've nice. gotten a lot of compliments nice. on it. And, you know, I love the font choice, you know, everything yeah. we put on here, you know, Chuck's blurb, everything on here. It just really, mm-hmm. as a, as a, as an old graphic designer and art director, as a guy yeah. who ran a press for four years and put yeah. out, you know, eight books, like the cover is really important to me. And like, that wasn't what I thought of for the cover. And I, I, we had lots of covers with fire. We had flames yeah. and 
and abstract flames. And, you know, there's a lot of art covers these days. I feel like folded paper and the idea of a flame and like all these really cool covers. This one just really, I was like, man, I think if anything gives you an indication of what you're in for, the layers and the weirdness and, and yeah. the emotion and, and the the hope and the fear, like I feel like this taps into all that. Mm. Yeah, and uh, so just randomly, I'm I'm also a graphic designer, and <laughs> so this this uh, I love the little stories. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know where that came from. Why on earth he would have tried that? But I love it. It's so yeah. weird and different, and uh, yeah, not, nobody would do that. That's yeah. that's the weirdest thing. Yeah, it just says love, stories like, over there. You're like, I think oh. part of the sometimes people will say like a no, they'll put a novel on there or something. And so we wanted to put stories. So people knew it was a short story collection. Sure. Right? Sure, but the more common thing to do is to say spontaneous human collect uh combustion Colon. a collection of short stories by right, right. Exactly. something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, a collection exploring the duality of man or whatever, you know. <laughs> and you're I, and and it's like no no stories. We're just gonna stories. it's gonna float in the, yeah. the bottom yeah. sort of third yeah. of the page. And we, like we tried to figure out where to put that on there, and mm -hmm. um, I, I you're good. You got that. So it was. I wanted this to be clean and to be minimalist, actually, mm -hmm. because I wanted the things that were on here to pop, and I thought the artwork was so cool. And yeah. then when we added the blurb, and I love the font of the title. And then you have like like on this one I happen to have like the the arc stamp on there and then my name down below like it's really the art story the title my name a blurb like that's it like I I didn't mm -hmm. want a bunch of uh, stuff you know too much clutter on the cover um, right so I wanted it simple it's very simple and uh, you did you you pass my test which is uh, there should never be more than two fonts per cover definitely and, uh, definitely and yes. And uh, you, yeah, no, this passes that test. You have two fonts. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that this is something that like I silently judge people on like all the time. Totally. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> not, not supposed to judge, judge a book by its cover, but we all do. And, and then on top of that, I got really lucky that Brian Evanson wrote the, the introduction to the collection too. I mean, to have Brian do that, I'm a huge fan of his work and uh -huh, he's right. been a big influence on my writing and he gets me. And so that, I mean, i that was almost, I think I wrote the collection just so I could get him to write the intro. Um, God, bless, God bless him for doing it because he was so kind to do it. Re I was just rereading that recently for because I was going to do a, a public speaking thing and I wanted to read a, a snippet of it and I was just like, God damn. I'm like, this is just so cool. It makes me feel seen. It makes He's so smart and he has influenced my work so much to have his praise and to have him get what I'm trying to do. Like that introduction is just brilliant. It's a it's a hell of an introduction too. Right? I mean, it's it's uh, what five pages, six mm -hmm. yeah, five pages. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Yeah, really, really an insane introduction. Um, very cool. Um, also, I liked this uh, dedication that you wrote. It says this collection is dedicated to every one of you out there who has felt the hateful gaze of bigotry thrust upon them been treated like something less, been rejected for just being yourself. This is the true horror story. I see you. I value you. I hear you. And I embrace you. Keep going. Thanks, man. God, you make me cry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I feel strongly about that. And I think you can yeah. see the way that the publishing industry is changing and how, you know, people are being pushed out because they, they, they're just, they're just bad people. They're saying bad things and they don't mm -hmm. care. 
And, and there's, there's, there's companies that are combusting uh, yeah. old companies. Uh, exactly. Some you, exactly. Some that will go on, uh, remain unnamed that you have worked with. Yeah. Uh, I, I noticed. Know. I mean, it's tough, right? I know. I was, I mean, I won a contest at Shizine and then they just blew up, all, they blew the shit up. You know, it's like, it's well, crazy. I didn't, I didn't say Shizine, so we're good. <laughs> well, I will because I was yeah. very disappointed by how they handle things. And it's tough, mm -hmm. you know, when you meet your idols and your mentors and people you look up to and they, yeah bigoted people it's just terrible i mean i'll talk about that a little bit because i i've i felt like an outcast in my life and i'm a straight white man uh, but there's been times in my life that i was weird that i was not accepted because i was in band or choir or wore this outfit or had hair like that or whatever or wore you know nail polish whatever you know like i, I people need to be allowed to be who they are hmm. whether it's you know male or female whatever color, what race you are, whatever your orientation is, your gender, what I, like you shouldn't be chastised and, and hurt just for existing. I think it's such a Absolutely. And it, Absolutely. It's, I mean, I, I learned, I've learned so much kind of, I mean, growing up in St. Louis, going to Bradley university in Peoria, moving to Chicago, I was raised by around people who were bigoted and who would say the N word. And just like, you know, if, when I was, I'm old, when I was in high school, if you were gay, you just got your ass kicked. There was no mm -hmm. tolerance. And so going to college really opened my eyes to music, to people, to different cultures. And that taught me a lot. Moving to Chicago, even more so. Hmm. You know, I first time I had a lot of food, the first time I, I met a lot of people that were different than me. And what I learned at the end of the day was that we're, you know, in my writing, I like to speak to universal truth. And so part of it is, you know, understanding that we all go through similar things. You know, for some, it's definitely worse than others, but we all love, we all lose. We all have some sort of childhood. We all grieve. Like there's, we have more in common than we do our differences. Running Dark House Press was my first chance to really publish and open up to the public. And I learned a lot and I got better at being more inclusive once I realized that it's lazy to just pick that which you know and it's closest to you. Um, mm. I'm lucky that in my first anthology, The New Black, I put, you know, Roxanne Gay was in there and Lindsay Hunter. Um, but there are a lot of straight white men. You know, Stephen Graham Jones was in there, you know, native, but, you know, great. I just love his work. I got better at being more open. I had to read more. I had to read globally. When I ran mm. Gamut, we got submissions from all over the world. And that really helped me to see different cultures and to really publish a much wider range of people that I had to learn. I had to do a better job of reading more. I think when I was young, growing up, high school and younger, before I got to college, I would rather read book number 30 by Stephen King than read somebody new. Now, in grade school, I would read Judy Bloom. <laughs> I didn't care. I would read female, female authors. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a time in a lot of our lives where you're like, well, if I don't see a young straight white boy, or if I don't read a straight white man as a protagonist, I can't relate. I don't get it. And it's such bullshit. Once I got over that hump and learned that um, while certain people's struggles and cultures, they're not my story to tell, and I might not understand all of it, most of these stories are speaking universal truths. You know, I think I was reading Victor Laval's story, I think it's Up From Slavery. I taught it in one of my classes. And that story just blew me away. I can re remember reading Toni Morrison's story, novel Beloved in college and thinking, mm -hmm. man, this is a horror story. And then some. Um, and so that that little snippet I put in the front there is I, as I write and as I publish, I want 
people to feel seen and to be heard mm. and to feel wanted and to be included. And if things go the way I'm hoping they are, you know, I hope I will get back to more publishing in the future and I go open the doors up to more people too, because what an exciting thing it was running gamut. We only had one year of publishing, but you know, to, to get stories, I want to read the mythology, the, the Baba Yaga, the, the Gollum, the, the African myths, the, the Asian mm. ghost stories. Like I, I mean, I got so many cool new mythologies and based on place and culture and things I just didn't know. And mm -hmm. it just, I would, why not open up to the world and have these stories from all over? And if, and I, it's just such a rich, a much richer tapestry to put together. And I think Absolutely. that's, that's part of why I put that in there is that I want people to know they have an ally in me. One of yeah. the first things I do whenever I'm invited into a project, whenever I get invited into an anthology or a magazine, especially if I know them well, as I ask them, I go, is the table of contents set? Because um, I know I come from a place of privilege and entitlement, you know, just because of who I am. And so I ask them, how's the table of contents? And if it's set, I, I will ask them, well, can you, who else is in here with me? You know, and if it's not, I ask, you know, well, are you looking for people? You know, what are you looking for? You know, do you have a good mix of people? Like, do you have, I try to be professional about it and not be like, get some women in here. You need more people of color. Um, but I, I always have a list of names. And so, Knowing that, you know, I'm one of the straight white male voices in there, I, I want to I want to ask them what else they're doing. You know, do you have what's your ratio? You know, how many women do you have involved in this horror anthology? Do you have any authors of color or do you have any, you know, people that are non you know, gender conforming that they're you know, non-binary or, or do you have people of different orientations? Like what's your how's it going? And if, if they show me they're doing a great job and like they're, they're getting some good stuff, I'm like, cool. I'm like, if you need any names, I know some great people. Not. Yeah. Not, I'm not looking for tokenism. I'm not looking to like fill a quota. Of course not. I'm just no, asking no. if you're looking for people and you don't know. Yeah. Here are some people I've worked with in the past that I love. They are out there, and yeah. they also need opportunities. They and do. they are great. They are hugely ta talented. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing about you know this is a, a free ride for somebody who doesn't deserve it. It's yeah. someone who absolutely deserves it. And here you go. Yeah. No, right. that's that's and really there was great. A time, that's there good. was a time when I did, that I wasn't really as educated, and I and if people. I was, they would have tossed out names. I would have been, I don't know who you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. One of the, but the, that, that anthology exigencies that I published, um, I was lucky to have an early story from, from Usman Malik in there. And he went on to become the first Pakistani author to win a Bram Stoker award. And I was lucky nice. enough to get a story for him before he blew up. And I just loved the story he sent us because it just opened my eyes up to a whole other world. And he just, he really speaks to his, his worldview and what he knows. And it's just really brilliant. And I just love what he does. Mm -hmm. And I think if more people read broader globally, they'll mm -hmm. be less afraid and they'll be more open and they don't have to see themselves in every story in order to enjoy it. And I think yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's hopefully where I think we're headed and I've seen a lot of progress, but you know, seeing things blow up recently in the horror community just, you know, shows that we still have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Well, so everything you just, opined about i mean my god like you you i know you don't know this but uh character diversity and uh not writing what you know are two of my uh most intense mission statements and we talked about this on our last episode with um elmarie wood nice and we we really got into the idea of not writing what you know and why yeah. that's such a lazy thing. And as a teacher, yeah. I think that's the worst possible advice you can give your students. And it means that, you know, you, you mustn't have very much faith in your students because if they can only write what they know, then, then 
what about the rest of existence? Right, break right, away. Yeah, get get the the real the real creativity comes from learning. You know, I mean, uh, you you shouldn't just oh this thing happened to me one time. I'm going to change a few details, and that's my story. Plenty of people do that. Plenty right. of great Amer American novels are written that way. Yeah. but there's a you know there's a whole world out there. So you're talking about like uh, world mythology and all that stuff. I I am a, a pretty big proponent of uh, of that stuff my first cool. two novels were african vampires uh they're right. set in africa i learned a lot about everything and i was very nervous because yeah. i didn't want to be seen as somebody who was trying to appropriate anything right. and right. i wanted to make sure that um you know i was doing the subject matter and the place and the people proper justice right. and i always had that voice in the back of my head and i'm like well but i'm a i'm a white dude from massachusetts like do i have any right in writing the story right and it really just you know in talking to different people and before and certainly since um it really is about like well you know it's it's if it's your heart in the right place are you like right. why what's what's the reason why why were you doing this why am i doing right. this for me honestly i wanted to i am just overall all for pushing stories we haven't seen with characters we haven't seen right. there's not enough non-white characters just overall in right. all of the spec fiction yeah everything and it is so great uh you know some of the people that i've gotten to meet over the last five six years to see how many talented writers there are that are you know they're all celebrating their own uh ethnicity and stuff i i know yeah. so many so many great black actors uh i mean authors that are just i mean milton davis nicole givens kurtz elmery wood mm -hmm. um there there's you know sheree sheree thomas like there, there's so many out there that are so successful now and getting there and yeah. you know uh i j i just think it's awesome and in fact the to, to bring it back to the the book that i briefly mentioned that uh that was up on the preliminary ballot for the stokers uh i was one of a couple i was only i think there's like two maybe three non-black authors in this collection it was, it was the the book is I'll, I'll just uh name drop it the book is slay it was a uh, african vampire book and uh i've written two novels on african vampires so i was kind of keyed in on it very happy to be in the book but uh yeah i mean it was like all about um, you know, that was Nicole Givens Kurtz, uh, and she put this together and she wasn't looking specifically for only black authors either. Right. She's looking for right. stories in this, yeah. it, you know, in the African diaspora and like sure. all the, and, and, and it's just mostly, uh, black authors that are interested in writing that, right. Right. which <clears throat> is great. I'm, I'm happy that that's what they're writing. There should be more non-black actors uh, i keep saying actors for some reason authors <laughs> that are willing to write this stuff yeah why is why is that and it's it's not just black and you know i i i said okay well you know i i want to sp spread my wings and try to explore other stuff mm -hmm. and so you know i i i love native cultures and uh so with with uh my third novel i had a native inspired hero mm -hmm. and uh and then with um you know, I, I read a lot of Western stuff. So there's a lot of, well, what's the real story in, in the American West? You know, right. what do we think we know what the black experience was like, what the native experience was like based on John Wayne movies or something. Right, like, right. Okay. Yeah. You don't know anything. Um, so a lot of, for the thing I'm currently working on happens to be a, a weird West collection. And it's, it's, there's just, 
every bit of it is stopping to learn along the way. And I mm -hmm. think that that is just what you have to do as totally. an author. Yeah. Uh, not a, as an actor too. <laughs> Actors can do it. They can do it too. But authors, yeah, right. uh, yeah writing what you know is is bullshit. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you there's always going to be some of yourself in there, but it should be uh, there should be more mm -hmm. to it than that, in my opinion. Right. Uh, for us, we need to reach out. We need to find okay something we're interested in, but tell it in a different way. Tell it from a yeah. different perspective, and you know, get these characters out there, and uh, you know. You're right. Well, you said something about, you know, do they have to look like you? No, I, I actually haven't written a character that looks like me. I, 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 not, not a main character. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, yeah. I have enough. I have yeah. plenty. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm being still working on myself. I, I, I can do a better name. job, but I think you hit on a couple of really key components here is, you know, one is, is your heart in the right place. Right. <clears throat> I think if your heart's in the right place, and you're in a community, you know, and, and you, you, you're doing it for the right reasons, I think that's a great thing to do. Mm. Um, another thing I think is important is that you have to do your research. You know, my mm. novel Incarnate yeah. uh, is set roughly, it's this Sin Eater uh, Arctic horror novel. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of based loosely on Barrow, Alaska um, and the 60 Days of Night, however long it is. Um, and so going to that book, I, a friend of mine, Repo Kemp is lived in the Arctic and spent time up that way. And so I, like I hired him to be my Arctic advisor to help me with the Inuit stuff, to help me with the Arctic stuff. Nice. Um, to make sure I got things right. Um, and to get the detail, you know, that I needed to be accurate. But then the third thing I always think of for myself is, you know, do I have the right to speak for certain groups? And so I never try to speak for something I'm not. So while there is an Inuit backdrop to the story, like I'm not telling people how to be Inuit or you right. know what the experience is like. I'm not there to judge or explain. That's not me. I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Like I don't have that. I, I try to do as much mm -hmm. research as I can to to put it in there and to have a character who who is not a straight white man. Um, but beyond that, you know, I'm I'm doing my research, trying to come out from the right place, and then not speak for that experience because that's not mine to speak for. Mm -hmm. so I think if I think if you do those things. I think you, you know, that and, you know, if you need a sensitivity reader, if you need to bounce it off, I can remember, it's like a lot of male writers do write women really poorly, you know, mm -hmm. it's always, oh, yeah. they're always talking about their bodies, their breasts, and they're looking at themselves. And it's like, they're like, anytime I read something really bad, like, that, you know, especially if I get in one of my classes, I say to the guy, okay, let's reverse it. Let's make this a guy. Are you really going to think about your balls jangling in your pants when you're walking down this? I'm like, what are you doing? Constantly. Like, you have no idea how much my mind is on my balls. <laughs> I mean, it's like you all the time. never in a million years would write that scene. So, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Quit talking, thinking about your nipples and your panties. I'm like, nobody does. I mean, I, come on. So, I think there's, there's ways you can do it poorly. And I think if the author puts in the time, does the research, comes at it from the right place, and has a story that they're equipped to tell, I think there's a you can do good things with it, you know. So mm. I'm, I'm still working on it. I'm trying to improve with every project, every story I write. But I'm, I'm conscious of it, and I think one of the other things I think is important is that we're seeing more and more people in positions of power as gatekeepers, who are not just a bunch of old, rich, straight white men. That we're having people, men and women, more women in positions of power, more people of color, more people of different orientation. If you have those people, if we have a wider range of people at the top on the masthead in positions of power, you're not going to have stories rejected because an author reads it and goes, Oh, I'm not black. I'm not going to publish that story. 
You're gonna have people, and you're not gonna let people get away with the bullshit they're getting they've been getting away with because they're gonna call you out. That's what I really love seeing these days is that people are no longer being quiet about the things they see, you know, and that's a tough thing. Cause I, I remember, you know, coming up and like, I was terrified to like call out a bigger named author in public to say, I don't know if you should be doing that. Cause I was afraid of being, you know, blacklisted of being, of not, yeah. you know, not being able, you know, I was just, you know, naive and stupid and was scared. And now I feel like there's a lot more people speaking out and then, and that, and there's safety in numbers when people see things and they, they, they feel comfortable. You know, I don't want to ever tell anybody what they should or should not do because I, I know there's blowback and, you know, people, you know, do what you're comfortable with, but it's been really nice, especially lately in the horror community to see people with lifelong friendships calling out, you know, bad behavior for what it yeah. is oh, and yeah. not letting them get, I think that's how we, not just in, in the, in the writing community, in the world, in the writing community, smaller circles, in the horror community, that's how we can better support our, our writers is to to do these things to be better mm-hmm. about it i think we're you know people were clamoring about cemetery dance you know why didn't you pull macho leone sooner why did you publish his work at all and you know i get that i'm glad that they at least did it now you know better late than never um some of the older they stuff you look at it and you're like oh my god i can't believe you published this it it's hard people you know people have to change they have to you know i'm glad to see that there's a lot of change happening right now and i think we're headed in the right direction mm-hmm. I agreed. Um, you right, I got my soapbox. I apologize to everybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Oh, that's that's okay. That's good. That's uh, that's all stuff that is important and important to me. So it's my show. So I'll I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> but uh, you you remind me of a a little piece of advice that a a friend, a dear author friend, Jeremy Flagg, gave me years ago, and uh, and he said, you know, if you're writing characters that are dissimilar from yourself if you're writing uh you know if you're a man straight white man or whatever and you're writing outside your gender or your race your uh sexual orientation uh the easiest way to know and this is for all all of uh you potential writers listening out there more than it is for you richard if you're if you're writing uh a character and you're not sure if you're doing a good job or if you're being sensitive mm-hmm. or whatever and uh, if that character can be boiled down into one uh, character trait, then it's a bad character, no matter what. So if you have, uh, and that's why we have this the term token, right? So right. if you have a token black guy, well, well, what makes him a token black guy? Right. Um, maybe there's just one good black character. Well, there's a way to find out. Is his main trait that he's black and that's that's it he's just a black guy right. is there a gay guy and the main thing is that he's gay and that's it right. what right. else can you say about the gay guy oh uh, uh i don't does he like horses you're like i don't know he, he likes dudes <laughs> right it's like yeah he's no I, I know i know he's gay but like what else as is far there? as being if, a human being right as far as being, <laughs> yeah. human being. so if that's all yeah. there is yeah. then it's a bad character and right. the answer is don't don't do that don't do um so i i always always like that that's advice. good that's um, good and if you can't find that depth then you need to you need to learn it research it or don't do it until you're ready to do it right just think of uh, all characters as, as characters as people all characters are people. That's right. how you think of it. Not just your protagonist, not just your straight white protagonist. All the characters in the story should be people. And I think that that's honestly the strength of Stephen King. I think that I I I am a fan of Stephen King. I do not think the man is infallible. Uh, and I also don't 
think his prose is anything to write home about either. Right, right. Uh, he's he's a, he's the workman. He's the ultimate workman. I, you know, there's nothing beautiful about his writing, but my God, can he write humans? Yeah. My God, I mean, just yeah. boundless, endless, endless people. And you know, yeah. he talks about it. Uh, you know how like it's a small character comes uh, comes through a, a scene, and he immediately starts thinking, "Oh, well, where did this this character go to school? Oh, where, what are they married? If so, how many kids? Oh, do they have kids? I don't know. Like, what did they get mugged last week? Like yeah. all these things." And it's like, Stephen, settle down. It's just a bank teller. We right. don't need to know. <laughs> just right, calm right. the hell down. Right. But he's he's this this bottomless font of, yeah. of creativity when it comes to that. Yeah, I but agree. I think he, that, he can do yeah. more in, in a sentence or a paragraph with a character than some people could do in a whole story. He really under he's a great storyteller, and I think mm -hmm. he's great at showing people in a way that you can see them and understand who they are in mm -hmm. just a, a snippet in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he just he's just always concerned with that, I think. I think that's the important thing. So many people are just like, you know, you, you know, you have a character blow through and it's who cares. He's at least thinking about it. Whether or not he need he should get in that backstory for the bank teller is another question, but he's thinking about it and that's I think what's really important. Um so briefly cuz we're getting uh so we're at about an hour and a half right now. Yeah. So I I wanted to make sure I wanted to ask you about okay so we talked about the cover. There's also uh, I want to make sure people know this. There's little illustrations for each story. There's a small illustration uh on the title page for each story which are I assume by the same artist, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Same uh motif of the spray paint, but yeah. it might be blood, but maybe it's just paint. Yeah. Um these were great. Were these things that you told him specifically you wanted like each one or it was, he's like, no, I, I read the book. I, uh, I'm going to run with it. Let me, let me get you some. some we, we collaborated on that. So I think it was a matter of, um, I, I, I went through the stories and I thought about what's a object or a symbol or something in each story that would be cool. It might be weird or creepy or different. But it doesn't give away the whole plot, right? Yeah. You know, let's, uh, you know, oh, it turned out it's a demon possession story. Let's not put a demon demon's head on the, you know, I'll give the whole thing away. So I tried right. not to have every symbol, you know, I wanted it to be indicative of the flavor and this, you know, the tone and the genre or subgenre of each story. Um, mm -hmm. So we talked back and forth. And then it was also a matter of like how, how he captured it, right? So I wanted him to, take his shot like i gave him a, for each story i think i gave him a couple different objects or a couple different things and said pick what is most compelling to you and nice. do with it what you want um there were a couple he sent back that i'm like yeah it's not really doing anything for me let's redo that one and we do it again and like ah, i didn't like it. let's pick a different one but for the most part <clears throat> like a lot of them worked really well i think the first one was was the first one a goat's head or something like that one really i thought was pretty creepy for a pen yeah i like that one yeah yeah there's a lot of good ones in there and uh it's nice to have that collaboration and to have that input that, you know, he was really a, just a dream to work with in that, you know, I try not to be difficult either that uh, can we communicate? And then I, I try my approach to it, to creating, to being an artist and being, you know, is I try to surround myself with very talented people and then get out of the way. Right. Yeah. So I try to guide and, you know, art direct and suggest and speak from my heart and all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to say, you know, draw the box with this color and let make it look like this. Like, Take a run at it. Like, I'm hiring you. I want you to be a part of it because I, I dig your vibe. I like what you're mm -hmm. doing. I dig your style. Now you do you. You be you. Do what you want to do. Let it all hang out. Let's see what you got. 
And if I really yeah. don't like it, I'll say, oh, yeah, that didn't fit. I didn't like that at all. Um, but for the most part, I find that when I'm open and I let them do what they do, that, you know, they'll get it right. And it, if, if it's sometimes it's a little tweak, sometimes it's, you know, oh, we did a skull in the second story. Do not, we try, you shouldn't do a skull in a later one, even if it's a, <laughs> a pile right. of skulls versus one singular skull, right? Um, but depends on what you do. I think part of that experience I got was when I was at, um, obviously with Dark House Press, I worked with a lot of different artists. But a gamut, I worked with Luke, Luke Spooner, who did a, he did an illustration for every single uh, story we published. So that was, what, 52, 104 stories, something like that? So wow. I would send him the work, and he would read it or skim it or get enough to work on it. Um, I just let him go. And I would say probably 90, 95% of the time he nailed it on the first one. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, I just let him do what he wanted to do. Every once in a while, I'd turn something and be like, mm, I, don't know, I feel like I've seen that before. It's not quite capturing the... Can you add in something or uh, I'm thinking something more like X, Y, Z and you either go back and redo it or add something to it. But most of the time, you know, he would nail it. And so I think it's, that was a really good experience for me learning how to work with, you know, I, like I said, I've been advertising for, for 25 years before that to work with illustrators and artists and just to let him do his thing. So this is really a pleasure to put it together, much like the layout and, and the, the, the font choices and things that, you know, like you said, I was also trying not to have, hmm. you know, multiple fonts on the cover. Um, and you could have two, you that's have two. It. <laughs> right? To try and make, because I, I think it's also when you have like a decorative artsy font, like you don't want to do a lot with it because right. like that's why only the title is in that font, really, um, because it's so handwritten fonts. Like these gimmicky fonts can use them sparingly, right? And then you like don't want the fine print to be, to be in, yeah. you don't want the fine print to be an Algerian, yeah, <laughs> right? Remember <laughs> Algerian? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. You want some Windows ninety five. Yeah, nice, oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that I mean, I it was one of those things that when we put together the collection, I I asked if we could have some art. I like work, work running Dark House Press. Like the new black was the first thing I did in the cover and the interior. Like I wanted art for each story. Working mm -hmm. on Stephen Graham Jones collection, after people have gone off, I wanted full page art for every story. So like I mix it up. Everyone's a little bit different. For exigencies, we had art that went all the way across the bottom or the top, I forget the bottom, the bottom of each two-page spread uh, for each story. So the art mattered to me. I wanted it to be special because I know so many collections and anthologies and novels we get, like, it's just words. And, like, I if I can, if I have the opportunity to put a little cool art in there and have somebody else express themselves as, as well, like, I'm, I'm going to go for it and do it. Absolutely. I think it just next levels the book, honestly. Right? It's, it's just, it's, it, honestly, you. it's just... Yeah, it adds more value for the person who's, you know, forking over their hard-earned cash yeah. for your And it's stuff. just a little bit of extra work and maybe a little bit of extra money. It's not even that bad. I mean, um, Alvin Fisher did all the books, uh, the layout design for, for Dark House Press, and he was amazing. Well, he would just, you know, whether it's a chapter header or like, the, you know, story, you know, first page, like some extra art or like a little spray on the side or like he would always find these little – the the like the things to separate the scene breaks, the little glyphs and things like yeah, all, those, yeah. all those little details. Like I think that's yeah. exciting. Cause you, um, I mean, yeah. if you've never put together an anthology or a book done layout, you, there's only so many choices you're going to make. And so why not have fun with it and have it matter? You know, and I think that's every little thing adds a little, whether it's a little skull separating the stories or a little like double dagger knives or like, I don't know. Yeah. Have fun yeah. with it. Right. You know? Yeah. No, you speak my language. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I scriven. <laughs> I scrivener. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I do the layout for for my own books, and I've done uh, had a lot of fun with that. And I always put the everyone has its own like 
neat little chapter break, little yeah, thump, yeah. something. I, I, yeah. with that. I do love that. Um, I do wish, uh, I do wish undone maybe gave away the end because I, I just want to see it. <laughs> right. I, I think part of it, I appreciate that. I'll try to speak in uh, broad terms for those who haven't read it, but <laughs> we know something's going to happen right there. And we know that both he and this woman both are in the same condition, right? Yeah. So, and the, he's being chased by something. And so you can, you can, I wanted to leave room in there to see a little bit of the things and a little bit of the ending, but I wanted to leave it open to the reader so that there's room for them to assign it value, to, to fill in some of the blanks. Right. So mm -hmm. try and picture what's, what was chasing them. Like, I don't know, it's somewhere between like Wolf and like, um, what's it in the, the dinosaur movies, like the Velociraptor, like something, some weird hybrid thing. Um, and at the end, what happens there? Like it's, you know, it's got wings beyond that. Like, no, the, it, it made me think of, I was trying to remember what the hell it's called. I think it's a Lovecraftian creature. Mm -hmm. I think it's from, I mean, it is, it's a Lovecraftian creature. I think it's from, maybe it's from Mouth of Madness. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are these things and they have like these, uh, their head is like a ball and it, it, it's covered in eyes. Mm -hmm. and, and they have mm -hmm. a stone like a long stock neck and these mm. wings and it's just yeah. what i pictured at the end yeah really, really, i love it that's great yeah uh I, really neat. yeah i just I wanted would, it to be something you know yeah. so i, did, I didn't want to it I, it's really a choice like there's um one of my stories that's not in here asking for forgiveness there are these creatures on the hill and this is actually inspired by steven's work too steven graham jones because it has a, a first it's a plural we it starts off we because it's speaking to a pack of animals the wee animals are on the hill looking down on this cabin, this this woman and this child. Um, and I, you can call them werewolves if you want because there's a moon in the story. And so people are going to make that leap. But to me, they are more know, chupacabra or more coyote wolf, some sort of sickly hybrid. Okay. I didn't see them as much as werewolves. But I, I wanted to give them details and let them decide for themselves. So if people want to call them werewolves, I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm not going to say that's incorrect because I put a moon in the story. It's my fault. Um, but if you see them as more chupacabra or more like hybrid sickly wolf coyote, that's okay too, right? It's really a, it's a choice as a writer. Do you come out and say werewolf and then mm -hmm. you either make it work or you don't or you never name it. You never call it werewolf. You never call it vampire. You never call it demon. You never call it you know, ghost. If you don't define it and name it, is there room for it to be something else? And could that something else be more interesting? It's just a choice, and I like to play in those spaces. Interesting, and, right? Because I've I've written I've written werewolf stories, I've written vampire stories. You know, not a lot, um, because I I I don't know. It's like so much has been done. I, I maybe if I think of an original, the only vampire story I ever wrote was called Transmogrify, and it was this energivore. An energy vampire and she fed okay. on the negative energy of people and that's how she's she's beyond the blood worship and all although that's she still has to get like a transfusion once a year and so it's like part like oil change part like she had a port in the back of her neck that she could plug into her computer so she could hang out with us in goth chat rooms or at funerals and she just feeds off the negative energy and that's how she Name. gets her power um Name. yeah but that's the only so that's the only vampire story i wrote because I it's, it's hard you know <laughs> I love I love that uh, like yeah finding the new in the so old the yeah uh, the, these things that are you know uh, 
we've seen him a million times. We're sick of him, sort of a thing. Yeah, you should really read The Bone Eater King by Steve Van Sampson. I hear it's pretty good. Um, So, (laughs) so, uh, yeah, I love, uh, and as a host of the the Retro Redoctopus Cephalo podcast, I am a big fan of uh, illustration for chapter, for uh, story number 14, Ring of Fire, your novella Mm, in here. Thank you. It's a lot of uh, of quality tentacles going on. Yes, right, right, yeah. Quality tentacles. Uh, very good stuff. So um, I know it's it's kind of late, but uh, did you want to like maybe do a reading or a partial reading? Are you into um, that or uh, yeah. kind of on the spot? Um, no, well, well, we talked about that. Yeah, I could do that. I I could take a run at, at undone if you want, because that's the shortest. And I would. I think that would be great. Would that work? If, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've talked about it so much and danced around stuff. I think yeah. that would be awesome. I, and I uh, that would take us home. I think that'd be wonderful. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Sure. Go for it. No, I haven't read it in a while. So I, I always, whenever I read like China Mieville, like Pretty Girl Street Station out to my students in class, I curse him because not only does he have like made up words, but he has like really crazy words that I'm like, I don't even know how you pronounce it. So hopefully, <laughs> because this is my own work, I won't mispronounce anything, but forgive me if I do. At um, least you don't have to read the, the Cthulhu Fatagon line. So that's mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. I would have to pass on that because I, I would butcher it. Um, so let me see. So it is one, two, three, four, a touch over four pages. I have my sip of tea. I'll try and take a run at it because this is one sentence, people. This is undone. All right. Deep breath. Deep breath. Deep breath. I'll try and pace myself. Are you ready? You good? Let's do it. Hopefully, we'll have no crazy dogs because my wife's home now, so you should be good. <laughs> All right. Undone. <clears throat> And when we turn off into the woods, I know it's a mistake. Abandoning the road, the highway that has stretched out into the darkness for days now. The sun, a distant memory, even though there has been nothing in the rearview mirror for miles, for hours. That choice is what makes all the difference. What cements our demise. Zima and I, a couple for only as long as the night spilled across the land, for as long as the rest of our kind disappeared. And they filled in every inch of our existence in winged flocks that scattered and remade themselves in the water where they schooled and wove between other swimming creatures in the earth where they burrowed deep into the dirt and soil. And then the corners of every room, every frame, shadows that spilled and expanded, never quite in our line of sight, but never quite gone either. Xenia with her red hair that fanned out behind her like flames. Xenia with her piercing green eyes that had shifted from jealousy to panic, to fear, to survival. Xenia as she as she tumbled out the car door, smoke unfurling out of the hood, something ticking from under the metal frame, the Nova getting us so far from everything and yet not really buying us much time at all. Not really. Her door popping open first and mine second. A cloud of dust filling our lungs as the dirt road and gravel and weeds fill in around us. The end of the road, the fence there locked and chained. The forest looming up and out as the only place we might possibly find cover. The single path between two ancient oak trees that bend towards each other as Zena and I seek each other out in our frantic loping towards the foliage, glancing back, but nothing quite yet appearing. But soon we know. Soon. So we keep going, and as we grasp for each other off into the trees, Zena trips and falls, and a sweat of panic washes over me as her swollen belly distends, her arms outstretched, hands that have nails bitten to the quick, no longer in my grasp, nothing I can do now but watch and breathe, 
my heart hammering my rib cage, her scream something we should not release into the night, but her reaction is one of instinct, trying to brace her fall. And when I realize that she's going to lose the baby, when I glance back and see a scattering of leather wings across the night, flicking moonlight into the air, a fluttering rising up to drown out her cries, I know I have to keep going, and she knows it too. Sobbing into the dirt, hands to her stomach and below that between her legs, her eyes wide as I smell the blood. And it's just the one nod she gives me, my name muttered for perhaps the last time ever, Malachi. But it's enough for me to not even slow my pace, but instead quicken it, leaping over her as I whisper how sorry I am, as I cry out to her, asking for forgiveness, as the smell of something foul fills the space between her and me and them. I keep moving a stitch in my side, a tightness in my chest, because she's not the only one who's pregnant, not the only host here. And that's something else entirely that keeps bubbling up to the surface. One layer of tension, the way that she might give birth in the woods or a stream or the back of a car, but another entirely different swelling of alarm, the way that I will bring my child into the world. No obvious way for it to happen. Not built for this, the agreement we made months ago. Something that was noble and obvious and not even up for debate until now. When I feel the kick, when I feel the bile rising, once more glancing back, this time to the ground cracking and something slithering out in waves, and I'm into the trees, no longer going to look back because I'm it, the last one, and it won't be long now, one way or the other, so I run, eyes on the path, slashes of pale moonlight, splitting the forest and dazzling moats and beams of diminishing hope. Moving forward, not familiar with this part of the state, this part of the country, but the smell of something musty in the air. As a cool breeze pushes through the bending trees, and I think water, maybe. It might be water, but I'm running so fast, breathing so hard, that it's hard to hear over my own desperate noises, my own gasping for air, heart rattling out a beat that has to slow, has to stop sometime soon, but not yet, not quite yet. And then I see it on the left and then to the right, something pacing me in the trees weaving in and out of the branches, the bushes, the cairns of rocks, and I curse the darkness knowing I'm not nearly enough for this, up to it, capable, anything special at all. But if I can only hold on a bit longer, and my foot hits a root and I stumble, and it's my turn for my eyes to go wide, for my hands to push out, bracing for the fall, but I right myself and stagger up a hill, desperate to see the path down another swell, and the pain in my gut expands, something tearing, and I cry out, my silence no longer mattering, really. As they close in, shadows and snapping branches, the sound of something heavy ripping out by the roots, a flash of white just caught for a moment to my right, the snapping of teeth, so long and so sharp, the canopy of the forest rustling as something spills over the top of it all now, blocking out what little sick light was breaking through the leaves, and I can see now that the forest is coming to an end. It's a clearing up ahead, and that's not a good thing out in the open, but I can go faster, perhaps, if I don't simply split open before I get there. If my heart doesn't explode in a final fury, lungs withered in obsolescence, and then I hear it, what I thought I smelled before, water, something running fast and surely cold, the trees finally ending as the field opened up, opens up, the tall grasses swaying back and forth as I fly into the open space and across it, Gnats and crickets leaping and spraying the air and a handful of lightning bugs appears, causing me to clutch at my gut to weep openly now as I continue to run, my knees burning, feet throbbing, arms covered in a slick sweat. No jar for me tonight, no tin foil and holes punched with a rusty screwdriver, and I laugh a harsh bark into the expanding gloom, unable to breathe or swallow. My inside's twitching and I only need to hold on a bit longer to give my child a fighting chance here as the grass cuts at my legs, risking one look 
One last look back, and that's a mistake because they're here now, filling the space behind me, gaining so close. And the only chance I have now is if what I heard, what I smell, is what I hope it is, not just water, but space and a bit more time, a few more seconds, and then I see it. The end of the field, the water below rushing by, bellowing in its cold ambivalence, and I hit the edge of the cliff as their stench drifts to me, foul and rotten, something sour and spoiling. And then I leap into history as my flesh rips, and my child finally emerges, pushing out, splitting me open, and I help it to come into this world, already crying, both of us, as my hands, my fingers feel for the edge of the tear, pulling wider, opening the gap, and it is beautiful in its horror. Everything I could never be, nothing we have been before, unfurling one appendage after the other, several wings flapping open, unfolding again and again, talons lost in the black of night, a gleam in its myriad of eyes, placed in a close cluster atop its elongated head, neck extending as its jaw unhinges, row upon row of teeth chattering in anticipation, and then the last of it comes free. The tail pulling out longer and longer, never seeming to end. The scales that cover it shimmering as the moon drifts out from behind a cluster of clouds and I fall, knowing my work is done. But I'm wrong that my name was not uttered again, merely a different name this time. Something I'd always longed to be, for it whispers by name, Father. As the rocks below rush up to me, the cold river undulating, the black mass descending, and when its wingspan fully unfurls, it blocks out the moon with an echoing finality. Whew. <laughs> All right. You Whew. get a shabibin uh, is our made up word. That's our huzzah on the show. <laughs> Thank you. Shabibin to you, sir. Very Thank well, you. very well Thank done. You. Thank you. Thank you. You can that's, breathe now. You can breathe. Thanks. Now. That's uh, I haven't read that in a while. That was fun. I, there's a lot of family stuff in the book and it sometimes gets to me being a father, you know, and a husband yeah. and stuff that I, in that moment, I kind of get a little bit clumped myself, but uh, <laughs> the uh, the moment when oh my god, this uh, this it, it got me again when you read it. Um, hold on one second, I'm gonna yeah, this uh, the sentence here. I mean, the sentence is the whole thing's a sentence. So this <laughs> bit uh, it says, "My child finally emerges, pushing out, splitting me open, and I help it come into this world." Already crying, both of us, as my hands, my fingers feel for the edge of the tear, pulling wider, opening the gap. My God, yeah. sir, that yeah. is something. That is, I, you know, I. That is we, something. We haven't talked a lot about horror, have we? <laughs> but I, I, we have, and we haven't. I'm, I'm not a big fan of gore, but I, mm -hmm. I'm a fan of what horror needs, and sometimes it's to unsettle, to disturb. This is kind of a beautiful thing, but I also think of every woman who's ever given birth and what they go through and the hell that is or what, what it can be. Mm -hmm. you know, being at my wife's birth when mm -hmm. she had a C-section and mm -hmm. our twins born into the world. And I remember thinking I was such a tough guy and I was going to look over the screen and see all that. And the minute we got in that room and everything was real and all the smells and all the, oh my God, I was like, I don't want to look. I don't want I can't look. <laughs> and the no blood just uh, running across yep. the floor. And like, oh my God, like it was just yep. so intense. So I'm hoping in that moment he's kind of helping because mm. he's a, he's he's kind of almost gone and that it's he's hopefully already numb, but I can't mm -hmm. I can't imagine how painful and that it kind of defies the odds of. There's a moment in Perdido where the um, the slake moth appears. Some of that's inspired this that as it the idea of these wings kind of 
unfolding and then unfolding and then like unfolding again like because they're all tightened it's like almost origami kind of thing it's like it's defies it's like if you, you take out the human intestines <laughs> again mm -hmm. research never kill anybody sure um, but if you stretch it out it's like it's really it, what hundreds of feet or something or a mile it's like yeah. some crazy distance that you're like there's no way that much um, yeah, the wings are the wings are made out of the same stuff that Spawn's cape was made out of. It's just big origami, just yeah, fold, fold, yeah. Fold, fold. So the idea and the yeah. tail, the tail just keeps unfurling because it's been coiled up tight and now it's like yeah. really big. It, I, 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 and yeah, one, last, one, one last thing, bit of horror. When I was a kid, I was hiking downtown in St. Louis with my Boy Scout troop, and we saw a man plummet to his death. Oh, we were hiking. And we look up and a plane yeah. flies over the St. Louis Arch. And I'm like joking, oh, he's going to land on the arch. You know, and I was joking. And then he, he parachutes out. And you're not, you're not supposed to fly over the arch. You're not supposed to do this stuff, right? And he floats down and we see him land on the arch. This whole thing had been planned out. His wife and kid were filming the thing. His plan oh was God. to come down, land on the arch, and then jump off away from it, pull the reserve, and then float down. He lands on there. And then when we see this, we look up and we see him sliding down the leg of the arch, the metal part. And my troop master was like in the FBI or CIA or something. He's like, come on, kids, we'll go save him. And we're on the down by the river. And there's like a hundred steps to get up to the arch. And we're like, come on, boys. And so we're all running up. Like, I don't know what he thinks we're going to do. He's like trying to tell us we're going to hold out our arms and like break his fall. It would have just killed us. I don't know what he was thinking. I was one of the few people who, who was fast enough. He's to a very over. bad troop leader. Yeah, very bad troop leader. Uh, <laughs> we're not Marines. Uh, even so, we'll kill a Marine. Uh, I got over the lip in time to see him hit. Oh, bounce God. back up and then come to the ground. And luckily, he was wearing like a jumpsuit, so it held him in mostly. But I can remember his face was basically turned inside out. And then you add to that the family members running over and the wife holding oh him and God. screaming and crying like this whole traumatic thing. The thing I will always remember, and I often think this might be why I write horror stories going back to this moment in my childhood, there was a sheen of blood as wide as the leg of the arch. Like it was, I don't know how wide it was, 50 feet. It was like huge. And it was just like I'd never seen so much blood. Oh I didn't think the human is... body could hold so much. You know, it's like the quantity and the shiny when the elevator doors open. But it's just uh -huh. like, like those things I will never be able to get out of my head. And so I think sometimes the scope of what's in, what is inside a human body in that moment at the end there, it, it like it kind of yeah. just keeps coming. You know, mm -hmm. and then the hope is that you have all the things that are chasing it. I could talk about it now since we've read it uh, sure. for our listeners. Um, that they're kind of, they were flying originally, but there's things coming up out of the dirt. There's things that are running. And I'm like, are they all the same? Are they different? Like, yes, no. Um, that what I hope at the end that this thing is formidable, that it, the way I want it, hopefully you see it is that this is bigger and badder and nastier and uglier and more beautiful than anything that's coming after him. And then mm -hmm. when it expands to turn on them, it's like, was it Sleeping Beauty? One of those Disney movies where the black, like dragon just kind of the wings or fantasia where it's like so big it like covers the, like the whole sky with the yeah. back the trail from its wings you're like mixing two things but you got you, yeah we'll, we'll go with turnabog yeah uh, fantasia there <laughs> sure yeah so i'm hoping that th th suppose he and the woman were both pregnant so he's a man that's you, pregnant right she falls down she's not going to make it he can't stop she's hurt she's probably baby's not going to make it he's the last hope so there's this weirdness, and so he's the last human being. So what comes next, I don't know. But hmm. if he doesn't give birth to this, then it's all over. And so maybe hmm. there's hope that there are, maybe there are other people out there. It's kind of like the end of Bird Box, where you're like, oh wait, school for the blind. Oh sorry, I'm spoiling things for people. Like hmm. there are people that will make it, right? You know? <laughs> sorry, was that a big spoiler? 
well, I mean, I think people probably read it like two years ago. Okay. If they're gonna, like, yeah. it's been out for a while. But the like, oh, if people are blind, they won't see it, and so like, there's gonna be more people alive in the world mm. than you think. So I'm hoping yeah. maybe he's not the last; it's the last person he knows. Right. But with this great defender, hopefully, is he truly the last? unicorn or are the other unicorns all in the ocean i don't know did the it's, red yeah Bull it's one of those things cover their no, tracks no, no. i don't know maybe it's maybe it's time for humans to reboot and be, give it to turn it over to somebody else but. i think that's probably likely yeah. uh yeah but the I, the thing that gets me uh about this too is that you know it's like it's like the alien thing right he's been these are par it's a parasite you know whatever but they talk about this um contract that was signed and they didn't even have to think about it and uh that they you know agreed to this so they had to agree to this but in my mind you know and this is me as the reader meeting you halfway this is what you want you want you know my answer isn't going to be right for everybody else but what what i thought was that they um uh so so it's like they were convinced of something for whatever reason this is this is it and uh it's it's like it, it reminds me of this uh like okay They've been brainwashed, though. They've been brainwashed because there's something about this being inside of it that wants to be born, and it's, like, erased their thoughts. So unlike mm -hmm. when you get impregnated, like, mm -hmm. in Alien, you know, you're, like, scared of the thing. You don't want it to burst out of your chest. But with this, it's it's totally different. It, it reminds me... Um, I'm just going to go there, whatever. I don't care. I'm a big Buffy and Angel fan. There was an episode of Angel that dealt with this, and uh, Cordelia got pregnant by this demon, and uh, she wanted to have the baby, even though she got pregnant, like, nine months pregnant overnight. So it was it was really creepy because it's like, right. wow, you know, she is working against you trying to save her. So I feel like that's, what, that's the mm -hmm. uh, mentality with these characters. I don't know. Yeah. That they're like, no, 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 no. I don't matter at all. Which is, of course, just the hyperbolic uh, version of any parent. Like, I would do anything for my child. And you keep right. talking about it like right. a child and stuff right. like that. So it's uh, it's it's that. But it's creepy because you're like, no, dude, you were going to explode and die. Yeah, It's going to yeah. be a bad thing. Yeah. You want it to happen because yeah. you're brainwashed and all you care about is the, yeah. the, uh, the baby. The baby. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I, I love that interpretation. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you put up your abstract art in the Museum of Modern Art, like once you once it, once you're out there, you lose control of your work. It's hard yeah. for people to take it. So there's no wrong answer. I love your plot. That's pretty nefarious. I was I was probably a little more I don't know, death of the one for the good of the many kind of noble thing that he knew what was coming and he was, okay. you know, that there were a number of people doing this uh maybe two, maybe more because their world's going to end and they're doing whatever they can. So are these creatures going to take over? Is, is mankind lost? I don't know. Like there's a lot of room in there to swim around and kind of make it what you want it mm. to be. But I was more interested in, can I get this to 1,501 words? <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. the idea of you when you realize that they're both pregnant, the man giving birth, like what's that? How's that going to happen? That's you don't, have a, you don't have a way to make that happen, brother. So like that's you just terrifying. Need a, it's, it's, you need a little uh, yeah. sack full of meat. And a little darkness in there, some heat. We're good. Yeah, yeah. That's all we so need. That I'm hoping for. For the guys reading it, they're like, mm, "Where's it coming out? <laughs> How's it going to work? I don't like it." Uh, yeah, you didn't specifically say where the tears were. Uh, <clears throat> all right, that's true. That's true. I, I took it yeah. more of the C section, but I mean, cause yeah, kind of helping, but you know, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, the, I picture the stomach. I, yeah, I the stomach. It's, it mentioned his gut, but it's, it's better than the alternative. Yeah, well, yeah, there's more room coming out this way yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
but uh richard thank you so much for coming on man uh this was great great conversation and uh i hope people enjoyed it i hope people go check out your book spontaneous human combustion and all your books um before we get out of here uh can you do you want to like plug plug away i know you have an online Mm -hmm. class coming up soon for lit reactor um yeah so yeah that's pretty cool yeah, I got a couple things I could toss out. I, I teach over at Lit Reactor. Uh, I teach a short story mechanics class, which is great if you're ever thinking about writing, but you aren't sure if you have the basics down. It's also great for anybody if you are already writing, but you're struggling in one area or another. A lot of people, I teach a Freytag, Freytag's Triangle Pyramid, and invariably the writers, when something's not writing a story, they they blow one of the conflicts, usually the inner conflict. Um, Freytag is basically inciting incident, exposition, narrative hook, rising tension, building up to the internal, external uh, conflict, resolution, climax, change, denouement, the denouement, the epiphany, the understanding of what has happened. Usually one of those things has been screwed up or dropped. And often people, it's usually, they get the big story, they don't get the internal, they don't know what the character wanted, what their emotions and motivations were. So how can you reverse somebody's story if you don't know what they want? So Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people that screw that up. Um, but that's a great class, whether you're new, middle, or even publishing. Um, I have that. I teach that four. Sorry, I teach over there four times a year. Three of those are my short story mechanics class, and then one time I teach a flash fiction class. But the uh, short story mechanics class will be April. In April. Um, beyond that, I have on my website Storyville. Um, more advanced classes. So the short story mechanics class leads to my contemporary dark fiction class. That's 16 weeks, and that's going deeper and wider into the craft. So that's um, 16 weeks of essays and assignments and reading a short story that aligns with the topic for that week uh, as we read a book. So we read four books. We read Bird Box, Annihilation, Come Closer, and Perdido Street Station. We read out of the anthologies I've edited, so the New Black, Exigencies, and Stevens Collection, because I know those really well. So it's... the neo-noir contemporary dark fiction the new black it covers fantasy sci-fi horror and then you turn in a paper for every book but it really it's like if you come out of the basic class with like six or seven essential tools on your belt i got a hammer i got a screwdriver i got a little saw like you got the main things down here i got tape measure that class goes 16 more tools deeper and wider so you're, you hone your craft in that one it's like getting your batman utility belt and i've got a, like 25 tools on there and then the other te- class I teach is my. You're gonna get you're gonna get the shark repellent, guys. You're yeah, get the you shark are. Repellent. You're definitely gonna get that with the big with the big belt. Yeah, for sure. Um, my advanced creative writing workshop is the one that comes after that. Also, 16 weeks, and that's it's kind of like the basic class is like kind of high school, the dark fiction is like college, and then the advanced class is like your MFA program, all for a fraction of the cost. Um, that is, we read three anthologies: best Amer- best best horror of the year, best American science fiction and fantasy, best American literary. What that class is all about is critical analysis. So we're looking at your work. You workshop four stories, and we read four stories. Um, each week is two from you and two from the anthologies of the best of the year, best of the best. To look at, these are the best people out there. They're in, they're publishing the places you want to be. They're in Nightmare and the Dark and Fantasy and Science Fiction and Clark's World and Tor. Um, and looking at your work and their work and going, how good are they? How good am I? And what's the gap? What's the difference? And then what are they doing right? And then how can I close that gap? Critical analysis is looking at your story and being able to diagnose the problem. Something's wrong. I don't care. And then saying, okay, I don't care. Why don't I care? I don't care because I don't have any sympathy or empathy because I don't understand the internal conflict and nothing changes. Okay, I've diagnosed it. I understand what's wrong. 
I know what I need to do to fix it. Now, can I do that? Can I apply that and, and fix it? So I found that my students who have gone through all three of those classes have done really well. And some of them have broken into, two of them gotten into tour. Um, one has a novella coming out at tour. They've gotten into fancy and science fiction magazine and dark matter and Bastarian and a lot of great places that all three of those together, I think is really you evolve as a writer if I've done my job right. right and if you guys do your work. And then I do, I have a novel in a year class I, I teach that most of my stuff sells out six to 12 months in advance because I have smaller class sizes. They're typically, the Lit Reactor one to 20, all the other ones are only eight because I started out teaching Skype oh. and it was like you only have eight and I'd sometimes I'd have a guest author myself. So eight, so they're small. But what's nice is you get to workshop and you get to know people. It's hard to find a good workshop these days. Um, that's all my teaching stuff that's going on. So coming up would be Lit Reactor in April and then Flash Fiction in the summer. Everything's sold out for my advanced classes. I have a, a couple spots in my dark fiction classes September. And then next year is already starting to fill up for the various classes because I've told my students in 2025, I may not be teaching or I'm going to dial it way back because I'm working on some big top secret stuff. So that's all my teaching stuff. My writing stuff, I should have a story in Cemetery Dance in the next issue coming out anytime now. All right. Yeah. So I'm really excited because I've had a really good relationship with Cemetery Dance and being in Shivers 6, and then they did the ebook version of my collection, Tribulations, with uh, Crystal Lake who did the print, and then two stories I got into the magazine twice. So I'm batting a thousand with these guys. You know, I mean, they're one of the longest running, you know, biggest, yeah. baddest publications out there. Um, oh, so that'll yeah. hopefully they're be goals, out for sure. Yeah, yeah, hopefully that'll be out next month. Um, other, uh, I can't think of anything else new that's coming out, but my agent has been shopping my novel Incarnate. We may have a deal on the table. So I'm hoping that my next novel, that Sin Eater Arctic Horror book I was talking about, yeah. Incarnate, hopefully that will be out late next year. If everything right. Nice. That's we'll my cross stuff. All our, we'll cross all our tentacles for you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and, uh, and your website is, uh, I don't think you said it, but it is whatdoesnotkillme.com. Yes. Yes. Very cool. And you, can, you can find everything else from there. That's an easy one to remember. It, it comes out of the Nietzsche quote, you know, it does not kill me, makes me stronger. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's a hell of a... This, I know. can't believe that was available. I can't believe you, like, just nabbed that URL. Yeah, like, yeah. wow. Well, people think it's like I'm like I'm doing, like, a Kelly Clarkson or something, but <laughs> it's like a lot of... I didn't think that, just no. so you know. But you know that when you when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. It does you know? stare back. That's the title of my story that's in Cemetery Dance is Battle Not With Monsters, right? Because... No, lest you become and one. that's in spontaneous human combustion. Right? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, top secret, don't tell you, but Cemetery Dance took so long that it ended up coming out in my collection <laughs> before it came out in Cemetery Dance. But they, they said that's okay because it was seriously five years from when I got it. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, it's it's our secret. No one no one listens to the show anyway. It's fine. Well, they know. Cemetery <laughs> <laughs> Dance already knows, but yeah. Well, what's nice, I mean, Cemetery Dance, geez, a uh, circulation of 10,000. So I'm hoping. Hoping that gets in front of some people that haven't read my stuff before. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Cemetery Dance is huge. That's that's yeah. great. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Definitely be looking out for that issue. Very, very cool. Once again, thank you so much for stopping by. I'll uh, I'll come on down there and let you out of the brig. Oh, good. Uh, you know, I hope... rising. The boots aren't going to cut it much longer. Not, oh, okay. You can actually keep those if you want. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I just pulled those off a homeless guy anyway. Oh, so uh, yeah, do it. Do whatever what you're going to do with those. Uh, but you know, a little think of a think of them as a as a memento of our time. Parting right? gift. Thank you. Yes. Parting gift. Um, so uh, 
anyway, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of The Brig. Uh, we appreciate it. As always, uh, that pretty much wraps up our time together tonight. So if you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope you enjoyed this week's journey, this bonus journey of the treacherous waters of all the things that made growing up awesome. If you like what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button. Subscribe button uh, is how you say that. I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You did. You did. I did. Uh, like and button. Yes. <laughs> like it's on Facebook and and or Twitter. Um, I have been your host. My name is Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Van Sampson, a.k.a. Steve of Destruction, that nobody calls me that. And it is indeed a sad thing that your adventures have ended here. Good night. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you uh, because you did you did something nice for me back when you blurbed uh, my book Mark of the Witchworm, and um, that I, I have to say that meant uh, a lot. Uh, no. Yours was one of my favorite quotes that I got, and uh, mm -hmm. you were the only person I didn't know. So you wow. really just uh, I, I I don't remember exactly where that happened i just remember it was somewhere on in one of the groups and you yeah. know i said is, is anybody looking you know i'm looking for reviewers and you just richard thomas out of nowhere said sure what the heck i'll give you a shot kid and uh <laughs> i just i just want to say thank you very much it meant a yeah. lot and uh pleasure and uh yeah very very cool so thanks awesome yeah. that's very cool yeah you know i i've been doing this 15 years now and writing in 15 years and uh, i had a whole career in advertising before that 25 years and Coming up, I, I had a lot of people help me out. So I think it's, you know, they'll pay it forward things. And, you know, I'm happy. I don't give everybody a blurb. Sometimes I read stuff and I go, it's not my jam. It's hard. You know, or I could give, you know, blurbs that don't sound very good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a book. There's pages. I read it. <laughs> um, but I'm happy. I'm, I'm glad that you like the blurb. and I'm glad it helped. Uh, you know, it's my, it's my pleasure to do that. I, you know, I like what you did. And, Thank um, you. You know, we're all out here struggling in the trenches, trying to publish, trying to get our stuff out. And, you know, it's um, I've, I've had people say that horror writers are some of the nicest people they've met, I think, because I think quite a few of us tend to exercise our demons on the page and <laughs> kind of get out. And uh, that leaves us a little less toxic, So you know. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.